It's, uh, it's Keith Luker and Joanne McFadder and some people singing. Anybody want it? Who said ha? Huh? Huh? Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I think I have another one in the, in the car. But you can listen to it if it's good. You might even want to pass it on to somebody. Amen. He told me to give it out. And I thought, what are we, I'll just do it at school. The, the reason I threw it to Miss Vicky because when I said that, she went, oh, it caught my attention. So, wow. God, you're good. We're going to pray and we're going to go to Isaiah 58, I think. I'm going to go there by faith and we're going to pray. You guys good? Monkey song. <laughs> I'm still just waiting to recover. <laughs> Thanks. First time I heard it, I was really enjoyed it. I thought it's pretty cool. Father, we thank you. Your love is amazing. Thank you for your word that teaches and instructs us. And thank you that the word can become more than knowledge to us. The word can become our life. Father, we're asking for the grace of, 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 of God to come upon us where the word becomes who we are. Father, I just thank you for taking us from, from intellect and, and, and just mere knowledge to revelation understanding. And I'm just thanking you that you're molding us and you're shaping us through this school, through this time together, that even our responses in life are just, they're different. They're, they're because of you, because of the working of your spirit in us. And Father, I thank you. You're opening up a door for greater intimacy, greater revelation of your love, greater face-to-face -face communion. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for your faithful love. Thank you. You're amazing. We appreciate you. We receive from you. And we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Yeah. Thank you, God. <coughs> Praise God. We talked a little bit. We were in Matthew 17 yesterday. I guess you remember. And uh, then we got on the whole thing, however, this kind doesn't come out except by prayer and fasting. We just talked about a brand new view in fasting in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. You're, you're not fasting to please God. You're not fasting as a righteous work. You understand the Bible says your righteousness is a filthy rag. Like your ability to just produce righteousness and measure up and stuff is a zero. It's good it's that way, actually, because then we'd all be competitive and competing and comparing ourselves among ourselves and judging, and some of us would have actually reason sometime to, you know, uh, feel like somebody's better than us or we're way low. I appreciate grace. I appreciate that God makes me who I am. Amen? And I can just wake up and be accepted, and I didn't have to, like, try real hard and do a cartwheel or something because I'd be in trouble. But... Thank God Jesus paid the price, amen? So f f fasting in that sense is, uh, it's funny, I came in and Sue said, there's no muffins or anything. I said, you know, last year I was bringing in, you guys were in the school, I, brought, I was cutting up that bologna and bringing it in at break, and guys were, you guys were just poof, devouring it. And I had, a, I had a whole stick in my fr fridge today, and I unwrapped it, and I thought, man, maybe I ought to cut that up for the school. And I thought, ah, I don't quite have time, I better get going. And I said, that would have been a good morning to bring it. So, <laughs> As always, tomorrow. <laughs> and I thought, well, I guess we're fasting, huh? No. I come in and Sue said, there's no muffins either. I said, whoa. So, but anyway, let's look at this. And uh, I want you to see something. He, even God in the Old Testament was addressing the frivolous accomplishment of, of their fasting. Remember the fellow where, uh, where the sinner was down and... The Pharisee was there, and, 
And this guy was beating his chest, forgive me, God. And Pharisee was saying, I'm glad I'm not like that man. Remember that? And Luke, I'm glad I'm not like that man. He said, I fast twice a week. And he's like, whoopee, right? That's really what Jesus was saying. And uh, because he was fasting to be right with God, you don't fast to be right with God. Again, I'm just going to reiterate this from yesterday. when, When you do go on a fast, it's to suppress any carnal tendency, any flesh appetite. It's to suppress the thing of the flesh, the voice of the flesh, the power of the flesh. Okay? Fasting is just simple. It elevates the things of the spirit, pushes down the cry of the flesh. Uh, We talked about eating. We talked about today's society. We do nurture and pamper ourselves. You go on a mission trip outside of the U.S., especially a third world country, you'll realize you probably pamper yourself and take some adjustment for most people. And uh, I talked to some pastors one time that went to Haiti and they were complaining and complaining and complaining and they got to the meeting and these ladies were worshiping Jesus like all out with these long dresses and, and these guys were complaining and they just cried and they said they fell on their faces. They said, we are so ridiculously spoiled because <laughs> they were just complaining about the weather and the heat and these ladies were like, these big long dresses, sweat poured off them and said they wouldn't just wouldn't stop worshiping Jesus and he said their hearts got ripped. Because they were just complaining the whole time. Boy, it's hot. It's too hot. Man, it's hot. Boy, it's hot. Boy, it's just too hot. <laughs> the whole way there to the meeting, they're going to go preach Jesus. Boy, it's hot. Man. He said, we laid on our faces and cried. He said, because we just realized, you know, we're just complainers. And, uh, but we do. We, we live in a society, as soon as the temperature changes, we can moderate the climate. And, you know, we go from heat to air conditioner without too much break in between. <laughs> Just always comfort. Flesh, flesh is, a, is a funny thing, and fasting is a good way to keep it in, in its rightful place. But I want you to see this. This is Jesus' or the Father's take on fasting. It's pretty cool. Uh, we tried to read this. I don't think we got in. I had to quit yesterday. It says, cry loud, spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Isaiah 58. Tell my people their transgression in the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. And as a nation that did righteousness, and, they did, and as if they didn't forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. What it's saying is they're not, they're not really t- dealing with their heart. They're not addressing the sin issue. They're just, uh, they're coming and looking for righteousness in the thing they're doing. And because here they got a question. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Well, see, you don't fast for God to see. <laughs> You're not fasting to please God. I said it yesterday. God's pleased to love you, to send his son, to redeem you. You don't fast to find favor with God. God, you have favor from God. You follow? So the motive of fasting needs to be real clear. It's simply to get out of a place of unbelief that's derived by flesh and self-consciousness and release you into a spiritual mindset and a spiritual place where faith thrives. Make sense? Pretty simple, okay? Simple. Why have we afflicted our souls? He's not interested in you afflicting your soul, okay? So fasting has nothing to do with afflicting your soul. Remember yesterday I said if you're fasting and you're going, oh man, look what they're eating and here I am on this fast. I'm saying, man, just come off the fast and go eat. (laughs) You got to adjust that attitude. You're not suffering yourself. You're not like abstaining. Okay? 
It's a place where you're in agreement. You want to suppress the carnal cry. Uh, I really, I really tell people, man, when you're fasting, it's 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 a it's it's a real clear perspective. And even if it feels a little tempting to be around the smells of food or food, I encourage people if they can sit with their family. Uh, you know, drink your water and fellowship and just be a family. You know what I mean? And I remember one of the first times I fasted, I, I went over to a family picnic and my family didn't understand why I'm fasting and why I'm on like the sixth or seventh day of fasting. And they're like, you didn't eat all week? <laughs> I'm like, it's okay. <laughs> they're like, oh my God, you're gonna die. <laughs> I'm serious, the average American thinks she'll die by about 11 at night if you don't eat. <laughs> Especially in a couple of days, you're definitely going to die. And uh, actually, the human body can go a long, long time, and it, without eating, water's important. But I said, no, it's okay. And I said, they said, well, how long? My dad's like, how long are you fasting? And I said, well, actually, I'm going to. I think I'm coming off tomorrow. Tomorrow, and we're having this cookout today. Oh, that is such a shame. Like the days didn't work that you couldn't eat, that we couldn't, you couldn't have the cookout. I said, no, it's totally cool. I'm so geared. I said, I only think I'm coming off because of this reason or that reason. It's not because I've got to eat. I said, I'm actually, I'm into this. And he's like, oh. So I remember, you know, it was crowded and I was getting people's food and I fixed my mama plate and, and everybody's like, that doesn't bother you. And it, and it really didn't. It's because I'm not fasting to suffer myself. And I'm not going, oh my God. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because there's a different reason I'm fasting. I'm not afflicting. You see, God, I'm suffering, right? You see, I'm abstaining. I could eat, but I'm choosing not to. What would that matter? <laughs> it's nothing to do with it. It has to do with suppressing the cry of the flesh. Who knows our flesh has a voice? Right? Yeah, you want that thing to hush. Amen? I, I said this yesterday, in case you weren't here. Most addictive behaviors, little compulsions, can be absolutely smashed if you just go on a three, four, five-day fast. Serious. If you just, in your heart, enter into a fast and, and commit to that thing and suppress the flesh, you'd be amazed how those things will come into line. Little flesh tendencies, compulsions, little habits that you'd like to break. You put yourself on a fast and you ask God for grace. Those things will break in a couple day fast. A lot of people don't realize that and it will. Because you're, you're disciplining, you're, you're submitting your flesh. Amen? So if people have trouble, if you have trouble with the flesh side of your life, fast. Serious? Okay. Why have we afflicted our soul and you take no notice? Probably because he's not impressed. He's not asking you to do that. <laughs> in fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure. Exploit all your labors. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate. Do you see what they're doing? It turns into comparison. You know, even in the church, you get caught up. Well, how long did you fast? Did you ever fast? For, well, I fasted this long. Well, you know, that conversation needs to be wiped out of our midst. It's not about that at all. And uh, you're not even supposed to, according to Matthew, let anybody know what you're doing. You're supposed to wash your face and let it be like a normal day. So we don't get into that kind of thing. Comparison, competing. You know, you fasted how long? Oh my God. And then we all of a sudden, we're trying to, it's, it's just, it's, it's silly. And then, and exploiting your labors. And to strike with the fist and wickedness, 
you will not fast as you do this day. So he's calling them to change what they're doing and change their motive, to make your voice heard on high. <laughs> it, is this a fast that I have chosen? Nope. A day for a man to afflict his soul? Question mark. Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? watch this is important because he's correcting what man does and how man was thinking and he's saying this is what's really in my heart guys so he's saying here this is what's really in my heart is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness now watch when you read this you'll find that this whole list is a life of selflessness a life of living outside yourself of considering others more highly than yourself and giving and serving and loving Wouldn't that be symbolic of a fast? Giving of yourself, suppressing your flesh, living out of your spirit, helping others, ministering the kingdom. Amen? It's beautiful. To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens. That means get involved in people's lives. Take a few bricks off somebody's soul, man. Help out. To let the oppressed go free. That you break how many yokes? So he wants yokes broke, doesn't he? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? Man. When you see the naked that you cover him, that you don't hide yourself from people. Isn't that cool? You know you can go to church your whole life and hide yourself from people. I think going to church is what makes you a Christian. It's giving yourself to people. That, that reveals the heart of God. Come on, it's really powerful. It says this is what he's chosen. That's why he wants his selfless and outside of herself. Watch what happens when you live this way, okay? Then your light shall break forth like the morning and healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness will surely go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. Why? Because you're not ever asking amiss your own desire. You're asking for the sake of people in the heart of God and the will of God to be fulfilled. Something about getting agreement with the heart of God that releases his glory, huh? Sure beats struggling and striving and just trying to have a good day and thinking for yourself. It's amazing. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking wicked, you extend your soul to the hungry, and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness. Is that an incredible promise, this whole thing I'm reading or what? It's like ridiculously good. (laughs) Isn't it? It's talking about walking in love. Isn't it? Then the Lord will guide you what? Continually. That means without cease. Satisfy your soul in drought. It means there's no dry places. Strengthen your bones. You shall be a watered garden. That's a good day. When I water my garden, it really grows. <laughs> and like a spring of water whose water does not fail. Do you see the promise when we walk in love and live outside of ourselves? So to God, that's, that's, really, that's really what he's, t- he's saying. Look, what good is it to do religious 
practices and things to get my attention and impress me when I want you to embrace my heart and be embraced by my heart and impress the world with my love. That's a fast to me. Not afflicting yourself, giving yourselves. Right? But yet he still talks about fasting in the New Testament. He still says, in the day when I'm taken from them, they will fast because I'm going to put on a new garment and a new wineskin and new wine in them. And we're not going to fast like you and the Pharisees are fasting because that would be an old piece of garment sewed onto something new. That would be old wine poured into something brand new. And I really believe the reason he used those two analogies after he answered a question why they're not fasting is because he was saying, I'm changing the why behind what you do and the motivation of it. And all you know is fasting for religious works and this is going to be fasting to see clearer and know him more. You get it? So it's just really simple. Isaiah 58 is beautiful to me. I mean, you could, you know, you shall raise up the foundations of many nations, generations. I mean, you shall build the old waste places. There's just... Let's just keep reading. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and you shall honor him not doing your, watch, not doing your own ways. You know, Jesus said that the Sabbath was made for man. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. So when you read something like this, you have to understand he's talking about giving your heart to him, giving your attention to him, giving your ways to him. It's not about honoring a day. It's about giving your life. It's about coming into agreement with the reason you're alive. You can make every day a Sabbath that way, right? Romans 14 says some consider every day the same. Some consider one day different than the rest says don't fight over this and try to change each other and say I'm right and you're wrong if you're doing it by faith God will make you stand okay so every day can be a Sabbath according to the word because you're living from the right heart watch this you, sh- you shall honor him not doing your own ways how do you honor him by not living for yourself nor finding your own pleasure, just self-serving stuff. Doesn't mean you can't go bowling with some Christian friends, guys. It's just when you go bowling, go in his image. (laughs) Don't miss the opportunity to love somebody that might be right beside you. Don't get so caught up in your score that you get frustrated and you can't love people. (laughs) You see what I mean? You can go bowling with your friends. That doesn't mean you're seeking your own pleasure and you've sinned. Just everything you do, you do in the nature of God. You do carrying Jesus. You see what I mean? You can take a bike ride on the trail, on the rail trail. I take a bike ride on the rail trail. I put my little granddaughter, I know it looks scary to people and they see it and shouldn't do that, but I'm pretty cool with it. I put her on my shoulders and we just cruise. <laughs> we have a good time. And we're on the rail trail. We see people with little braces, little things when they're trying to exercise and ride. And you just pray for them right on the rail trail. It's just fun. <laughs> we got talking to one lady and and uh, we got praying for her. She was so touched. She ended up in a Bible study somewhere. And the people said, was his name Dan? I don't know why they connected with me. There's a lot of people that will pray for people. And uh, they said, I bet that was him. And somebody called me and said, did you pray for a lady on the rail trail? I said, guilty. 
But it meant a lot to the lady. And God touched her. It was really nice. So is it wrong to ride a bike and have fun and enjoy the day? You just don't forget who you are in the midst of it. You're not doing it to just have pleasure. You're not just, I just need to break away, man. You have to be careful serving yourself that way. Just doing things for pleasure. You know what I mean? And losing sight of who you are. So it's not a legalistic thing. Just keep your, keep your eyes clear on why you're doing what you're doing. Watch. Nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. See, that means stuff to me. Does that make sense when we're reading this? Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth <laughs> and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, in the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Pretty amazing chapter, isn't it? So a fast isn't to afflict your school, soul, and it's not to say, man, brother, I ain't ate for 10 days. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with seeing yourself in him and not seeing yourself in your own flesh. Amen? Amen. Good deal. Let's go to the New Testament. Let's jump back into... Uh, Let's go to Matthew. Let's go to Matthew 21. Let's just jump through some scriptures here. We've been talking about healing. We just kind of ended up there. I wanted to wrap that thing up. I wanted to show you God's scriptural view of fasting, okay? That's God's view. It's because you're fasting yourself. Did you get that? You did get that, right? Isaiah 58 was fasting yourself. So... Amen. Uh, I know people say about fasting, let me just close up on this couple of thoughts. Fasting, uh, certain things. Uh, you can, if you need to get discipline in your life, fast certain things. Uh, I just encourage you to live in temperance. We were talking about this the other day eating, weren't we? She took me out to lunch yesterday. She asked me on a date. I said, that's good. No, I asked her. Didn't I? Is he going to tell your mom some guy asked you out to lunch and you went? She's going to go, what? <laughs> it was Pastor Dan. Oh, <laughs> did you tell her? So we went and had lunch together. We were talking about just computers and different things. It just came up. We weren't talking about it. It just came up. And she actually made the comment about, you know, finding a balance and all that where it's not excessive. And, you know, you can just sit for eight hours and really do nothing. Just passing time because it's so broad. You can, it, you can people pass more than eight hours honestly and at some point you have to question that and the productivity of that even if you're even if you're looking even if you're on Christian stuff you see well it's nothing bad well it's not that it's nothing bad but it's all consuming and it's occupying your whole life your whole time without productivity it's just entertaining your soul it's no different than possibly just sitting and watching TV for eight hours you just have to get a grip on what you're doing and how much time and just get some balance in your life. And if you feel like you can't, stop. That's probably where fasting something comes in important. Really. It says all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable and that you shouldn't come under the power of any. So you have a pretty good liberty to do things, right? It's just that your heart's pure and you don't come under the power of the thing you're doing. And and then don't get in denial. What I see people do is they give themselves to things and then it, it becomes who they are and they can't break away, so, but they come up with reasons to justify when down in their conscience they're violated because it's excessive. You know, sometimes it's okay. Just, uh, man, turn the thing off and go take a walk and look for somebody to love on. 
There's times the Lord has told me, he said, just go take a walk. Just go ride. Just go park here. Go take a walk here and just love on people. Isn't that cool? It's pretty cool. When he tells you that, it's usually fun too. Because he's just got something set up. Even though I can pray for anybody, there's usually something set up. (laughs) It's just good. So, you know, fasting things, you can fast things. Uh, you know, some, yeah. I would just encourage you, the, 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 the fasting of the food and drinking water is an important thing. I'm going to bring that book in. Would anybody be interested? I'll read it, uh, bring it in. You can read it and pass it around. But you've got to promise not to read it in the law, okay? Because it's written pretty, you read Franklin Hall before. It's, you could hear it in the law, easy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when it, the fire, you mean? That he survived the uh, explosion. The explosion and all the fire. Yeah. It was a ridiculous story. It was a, it was a, it was a, he was in the Marines, yeah. military, and the, 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 the boat he was on blew up, and the fire was like an inferno. It was melting a lot of the metal parts in the boat. The fire got so intense, and there was people just frying seriously everywhere, terrible. And this guy was, he's a faster and, and he, he, he talks about making you fireproof, literally. And this guy was rescuing people and running through the fire and he didn't even, his clothes didn't even burn. And everything was destroyed. And this thing, like the metal, he said, was glowing hot in places in the boat. It was, was metal was red hot glowing. And this guy's walking all through and he's like trying to save people. And, try, and he's just walking through the boat, but most everything was lost. And this guy, it's like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, who the fire had no power over. And he was like on in the middle of a 40-day fast when that happened or something. It's incredible. And uh, he had the whole story there. Oh yeah, you said that yesterday. You talked in tongues. I just kind of went over me. Yeah, yeah, that's what you said. Shadababakasa. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he can shadababakasate, and then you can just shatebakosehataba. So it'll all work. Amen. <laughs> Randy, I am such a mess. <laughs> but see, John. <laughs> Amen. Good deal. Matthew 21. Forgive me. I'm just loosening up here. Oh, my goodness. God, you're good. So, but I will. Some of you are readers. Some of you want to, might want to read the book. I'll bring it in. I have a couple copies. But what I'd like you to do is if you take it, it's real easy reading, especially if you're a reader. It's real narrow. It's real thin. You could burn through it, bring it in, pass it to another student, just keep track of it, just pass it around. Okay. But, but please don't read it in the law. I'm saying that for the 10th time. Because I already shared the heart in fasting. We already read Isaiah 58. But Franklin writes, why aren't you doing this? You should be doing this. Every Christian should be doing this now. <laughs> That's how he writes. Yeah. And it has a works tone to it. But you, you, you need to learn in your life to be able to screen through that stuff. You, you need to be so established in grace and understanding of righteousness that anybody can talk to you any way and you can filter through that stuff. Serious. I could sit under any preacher in the world and not be hurt. You understand what I'm saying? Because I'm rooted and grounded in love. I have a firm foundation in Christ. Righteousness is what I live. So you know what I'm saying? 
So you just hear things. You hear things in an ear of grace or you hear things in an ear of the law. There's a lot of people that you could be teaching total grace and they're sitting there hearing in an ear of the law. And you're teaching total grace. And they're sitting there going, oh my God, I don't even know. if." Like, like you can get challenged in a service by the Spirit of God and convicted in a way where he's growing you up into him and yet you could sit there and hear and instead of going, wow, the door to grow is so open, now I see where I, yeah God, this road is so clear, thank you for just lifting me up into this place of truth. You could be like that, yeah, 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 or sitting there going, boy, I sure got a long way to go. And honestly, that's the way a lot of people respond when they're highly convicted in the service. They go, boy, I sure got a long way to go. I'm nowhere near where I thought I was. And it's a bummer mentality. It's like a bleh. That's what I mean by hearing in the ear of condemnation. It weighs you for where you're not instead of where you're heading. Watch this. So I didn't see for five years and I've been in this thing here and now God's just poof through a message and the horizon's a whole lot bigger and brighter and the road's a lot clearer. Wow, these five years, I'm rolling now. Instead of going, yay, oh my goodness, now I see. We go, man, for the last five years, I've been just boo. And it's like a condemnation. It's like a regret thing. You see what I mean? Be very careful you don't hear in that ear. That is a ear. God doesn't want you hearing that way. God wants you encouraged and running forward. Amen? Amen. So we're talking about healing. We've been talking about just us being empowered by God. Jesus came. Let me just, 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 just throw this out here. Jesus came and modeled a life we're created to live. He's the second Adam. The whole gospel is about first Adam, second Adam. When the first Adam failed, the second Adam fulfilled. We were born into the first Adam in his fall. The second Adam, we're born again. It's a real simple way to see the gospel. Okay. So everything that Jesus did and walked and lived by the Spirit, anointed by God, you understand he was born through a woman. At a certain time, he was water baptized. The Spirit of God came upon him just like us. We get water baptized, the Spirit of God comes upon us. Because he came as a man. One of the biggest mistakes we've made on the earth and in churches is we still always see him as his God, but he came as a man. He even made sure he called himself the son of man constantly. He told us to follow him. If he came as God, it would be impossible to follow him. If he came as a man anointed by God, we could follow him. Come on, this thing is simple. He said, the things I do, you'll do also. Why? Because the same spirit of God that was in him has come upon us. The Bible teaches that. You follow me? Devil's very strategic and we've probably not made him work so hard in a lot of areas because we've so learned who we are through life and through the world that when the great good news of the gospel comes, it seems to smack into the wall we've built of just how bad we are, messed up and... How much help we need and all that stuff. We don't see ourselves and make the transition. Wait a minute, none of that is me. None of that's who I am. What life has taught me is a lie. Who I think I am needs to change because Christ sends a whole new message. I'm a child of God. I'm a son. I'm destined to be a son. The Spirit of God wants to live in me. I can follow Jesus. So he gives these promises all along the way in the New Testament, uh, is in, the, in the Gospels when he was on the earth. He says... Some incredible things. Jesus says some amazing things. In Matthew 17, yesterday we read, uh, we read, 
I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you, who? You. This is Jesus talking. It's not my sermon. It's not my sermon. It's right here. Jesus said, you will say to the mountain, move, and the mountain will, and nothing will be impossible for Trish. For you, right? What's going to be impossible? That's amazing. 2 Corinthians 1 says that every promise is yes and amen through Christ in God, is yes and amen through Christ to the glory of God through us. We're called to manifest the kingdom. We're called to minister truth. We're called to reveal the glory of God. It's our created value. It's why the spirit of God lives in us. Why is the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in us? So we can do the same thing. (laughs) Christ in us, the hope of glory. The body of Christ. These are all God's terms. This is all God's word. So here, this is going to be a little tight right now, but it's just pretty straight and raw. So what are we going to believe? Are we going to argue about this stuff and let our natural experience dictate our lives? Or are we going to get humble and start believing what God says? Not probably right, but right. <laughs> and say, no matter what, I'm experiencing, I'm going after him because this has to be possible if he's Lord and King and I believe it. If I believe he's Lord and King and he said this, I have to believe this is the word of God. Or you're going to get reduced to what a lot of circles do and say, well, you can't just take the Bible literally, brother. Well, you know, men did write this book. There's some room for error. And I mean, da, 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 da. No, God's calling this the word of God. If this is what he handed me, he must be able to keep it, keep it intact, and give me what's necessary to live a productive and, and, and destiny-filled life. I have, to, I have to have enough. If he gave me this book, and this is his love for me, the word of God, then I need to humbly accept this and say, you know what, I'm going to grow up into this truth, and I'm going to let grace propel me, and I'm going to find out that it's true. You see what I'm saying? Or I'm going to talk and intellectualize myself around it because of life's experiences. It's the biggest trap on the planet. Yeah, but brother. Yeah, but you got to face reality. Wonder if this is. Come on. You understand we're in a war. We've covered this in the school. We're in a demon war against the kingdom. You happen to be privileged to carry the kingdom. So the war is trying to stop your ability to manifest that kingdom. Isn't it amazing that the first sign of a believer in Mark 16, the first sign of a believer is casting out devils and most of the church is clueless they're real and a lot of the church is afraid of them. And yet the first sign is casting out a devil and most people live their whole Christian life and have never confronted, encountered and almost live as if they're here but not. You follow me? But the first sign is casting out devils. (laughs) Why? Because when Adam fell, they set up camps and kingdoms all over the earth to defend against the kingdom of God. When Jesus fell in the way of death, took the fall. Remember the Michael Smith song? Like a rose, trampled to the ground, he took the fall. But he rose again, right? And through his life, we're justified. And he gave us all authority to tread upon serpent scorpions over all the power. So the totem pole thing has shifted and now everything's back in its rightful place. It's so powerful. 
So the first sign that tells you how everything's back in its rightful place, because the first sign of believer is they're, they're, they'll cast out devils. There's so much controversy over the topic and whether they're even, the, 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 the second, I, I know I'm in Matthew now, I, I'm in Mark 16, forgive me now. Let's just go there. Go into all the world and preach the what? The gospel, the good news. You know what we've turned it into? Pray a prayer to go to heaven. You don't realize, I know we don't realize how limited and actually deceived that is. The gospel's the full gospel. It's the finished work of Christ. It's setting the record straight. Look, you're really created to be sons. The spirit of God lives in you. We can walk in love. We can walk in victory. We can walk in authority for his namesake. Not because we're on some power trip, but because Jesus is Lord. We don't have to be defeated. We don't have to be crushed. We need to preach. Listen, we are under the rule of self and sin and the lie and the same thing that the devil sold them into and bought them into or talked them into in the garden. Eve's deceived. Adam follows her instead of following God. He commits high treason and everything God set up and gave was lost. We were all born into that, guys. Now we turn and preach a prayer to go to heaven and then all that stuff still can stay the same. And you still run over, you're still in fear, you're still being driven by lies and, 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 and demonic things, and, and, and what's really changed except for, well, at least when he comes, I'll be saved. No, he's the salvation of your life now. Listen, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The gospel, the good news, it's the finished work of Christ. It's his kingdom. It's up on the wall. It's his kingdom and his righteousness. He said, go preach the kingdom of God is at hand. We've turned that into pray a prayer to go to heaven. I don't know how we did that. Doesn't really surprise me. We've done a lot of things that have a strategy behind them. You say, you mean it's wrong? Well, it's just a tiny little minute piece of the story. You can pray a prayer to go to heaven and not have any mind renewal, any change of motivation. You can have a prayer to go to heaven and wake up with the same fears, the same self-consciousness, the same selfish drive, the same hurt, same offenses, same vulnerabilities. But hey, my name's in the book, brother. Next thing you know, you're driven and can't just wait to get out of here. People that don't have a greater picture are willing to give up a whole lot quicker and just kind of throw in the towel and try to ride out the wave of adversity and can't wait till he comes as if that's an honorable thing. Well, I'm hoping it is appearing, brother. No, you're a desperate person looking for an escape route. You're not waiting for his appearing. You're looking for an out. (laughs) And you have an in. (laughs) Are you all following me? Well, this is stuff that nobody ever taught me my whole life. I had this lame and limited mentality to where I didn't even care if I ever went to church again. And it was like, whatever. And now it's become so real and alive. I'm so passionate. Sometimes it's ridiculous because it's hard to convey. It almost seems, but it's because I was lied to my whole life. It was just about praying a prayer and going to heaven. Are you kidding me? It's about the kingdom of God on the inside of you and coming out of you and changing the world around you. It's about Jesus and love. It's about selflessness and giving yourself and laying down your life. 
It's about being empowered to do that very thing. It's about following your king. Amen? It's about denying yourself, picking up your cross and following him. We're not teaching that. We're teaching the prayer to go to heaven. Who wouldn't pray that prayer? You could pray that prayer and not even believe. Just pray in case the preacher's right. Well, you know, I don't really hook up. I don't believe. I think he's kind of weird, but hey, just in case he's right, look, I'll pray the prayer because he said all I have to do is pray the prayer. No, you have to believe. Believe what? Believe the message. You follow me? Okay, this comes right off of that word, believe. Say you have a son or a daughter that you take out with you, okay, and they've been doing it for a little while, and they know. They've, they've seen God move, okay? They've even seen God move through their parents. And then you have, and this one's, well, let's say we'll just pick 20s in their 20s. So, but they, they've prayed, and they've not seen anything, and they're like, they're discouraged, they've got an attitude. How do you tweak and deal with that? I always address discouraged in attitudes because when you have discouraged in attitudes, you're trying, to, you're trying to weave the gospel through yourself and through your flesh. If I denied myself, where is all the attitude and discouragement? In other words, I'm not gonna live face value. I encourage people to get off essential living. Look, Jesus says you go lay your hands on the sick and they recover. You don't take that out as a legality and say, okay, well, I'm gonna see if this works and I'm gonna go lay my hands on the sick and see if they recover. And, 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 and it's, not, it's not the heart of love. It's just testing God's word. It's just, I met a pastor in, in Denver two years ago who took God at his word is what he said. And he's telling me the whole story in the car. He's telling me the whole story in the car. And he's benched. He's not pastoring anymore. You know, I just... Well, I'm just really discouraged, brother. And I'm thinking, wow. I'm just gonna be straight with you, okay? We think discouragement is normal. Heaven doesn't even understand discouragement because heaven doesn't think for itself. It thinks for others, so you can't get discouraged. (laughs) You're never gonna see me discouraged again. I am totally free from discouragement because I don't wake up for me. Hello? Oh, there's things that move my heart. There's things I get very passionate in. There's things I want to change in certain areas of my life. But if I cross the line and it's all because of me and how I feel and how that hurts me or how that blesses me, well, I'm just as deceived as I've always been. And now I have, now there's, now there's something twisted. The Bible says that you ought to consider him, Roman, uh, Hebrews 12, 3, consider him who endured such hostility against himself Where was the hostility directed? Consider him who lived that way and endured that, lest you be weary and discouraged in your soul. What's it saying? Lest you consider yourself to the point where you give permission to discouragement. Jesus, a couple days into his life and ministry, after the River Jordan, few ministry sessions in, could have been, nobody really appreciates me. I don't even know why I do what I do. Nobody really wants to listen. Even when I do a good thing, they call it bad. I'm healing the people and they're still saying I'm a demon-possessed Samaritan. I don't even know why I do what I do. People don't care. People don't even want to care. People don't even listen. Next thing you know, he's got this language that we're all used to. And that we've actually cheered each other on in. 
Yeah, I know how you feel, brother. Man, I'd feel the same way if I was in your shoes. I mean, that was awesome. Which, and they don't appreciate it. Well, I don't know. I mean, God just needs to whack their heart, probably. I just, that. Come on. Jesus could have been thinking like that the whole time. He wasn't doing it for your praise. He was doing it to manifest truth. He was doing it for your salvation, not for your praise. <laughs> so when you have people like Jenny saying, that get discouraged, this pastor, he's discouraged, he's telling me his whole story, and I'm just sitting. I talk a lot, because I feel like I have a lot to say a lot of times, and I get asked a lot of questions, so I'm, I'm in a position where I talk a lot, but I, I actually said to my buddy Todd on the phone yesterday, we were talking about the importance of listening, I actually believe I'm a better listener than I am a talker. I really do. I really listen, you have no idea. Listening is very important to me. Because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if I listen, I know exactly how to minister to you. Because if I listen, your heart's so revealed if I just let you talk. <laughs> now don't be afraid to talk to me now. <laughs> what I'm saying is, you can hear what people believe and see and don't see, don't believe when you listen. So I'm a real good listener, so I'm in the car just listening. And I'm telling you, this guy was convinced in his own reality, his own working of things. He took the gospel to the streets militantly. God said, go out in the street. If I put my hands on him, he'll heal him. It's my job to put my hands on him. It's his job to heal him. So I'm gonna go do this. He starts praying for the sick. Nobody's healed to his knowledge. So he's like, what a crock. God, he's having these kind of conversations. So God, what's up? I mean, I did what you told me to do. I did my part. Where have you been? You said you're faithful. If you're faithful, how come you aren't there? Why do they still have pain? Why are they sick? Well, I'm done with praying for the sick. You make me look like a fool. I'm out there believing you, and you're not even backing up what I say I believe to the people. That's the conversations he's had with God. And now he's backslidden. He's not pastoring, and he didn't even want to come to the conference. And this thing, he said, kept pushing me to go. This impulse and thing, this thing. Man, now Holy Ghost was reduced to a thing. He gets so mad, he's just a thing. <laughs> Having fun. <laughs> so we're, I said, where do you want to eat, man? Da, da, da. And I said, you know, I just appreciate, no. He said, I hope I'm not talking. I hope I don't sound like I'm complaining. I hope, because he's tweaking in his conscience now, because he's just pouring and festering all his disappointment. I was really set up that. The next session I went with a, a lady pastor who I was talking to and she just started crying and she said, well, I don't even read my Bible anymore. She's in ministry. So what do you mean you don't read your Bible anymore? Because everywhere I read, it just reminds me how God hasn't fulfilled his faithfulness. That's what she said. I said, you're kidding me. No, I'm not. And then she started to share all her hurt and her pain and her frustration and her unforgiveness towards God. We had a pretty interesting lunch. <laughs> she, got, she got so whacked and humbled. Oh, it was ridiculous. Oh. Because <laughs> you bring, Jenny, to answer your question, you bring that stuff into right perspective. You expose 
the lie, the weakness, the self-centeredness, the, the thing that's allowing them to feel the way they feel, you expose it for what it really is. And, and, and you, you're not merciful with that. You're merciful to them, but you're not merciful to that lie. You want that lie so exposed that it looks hideous to them, that they actually don't ever wanna be in that place again. You follow what I'm saying? So I, I say, well listen, where do you reserve the right? I'll talk real straight to people. Where do you reserve the right to feel that way? Yeah, but listen, bam, bam. And well, here's what happened with this man, this pastor. He's, he is set. I'm, I'm telling you, people that haven't stepped out the way he has don't have a voice in his life because at least he tried something they haven't even tried. So they can't even minister to him. And, and a lot of people way down in their heart kind of feel like he feels. And we went to the subway. And, and I said, there's Subway. Subway rocks, man. Can we go to Subway? He said, I don't care. He said, you like Subway? I said, I love Subway. And uh, so we go in there, and there's a handful of people. There's always people in Subway, and we're just going through the line. And I'm like, yeah, give me a little of that. Yeah, oh, yeah, load up the jalapenos. Thank you. And, and, and I said, put them all on one. We're just together, and we'll just get it. And, and she's wrapping it up. And I said, girl, what'd you do to your neck? What's going on right in here? She just looked at me. I said, it's been a couple years. Was it an accident? You psychic. <laughs> no, not at all. Jesus lives in me. He loves you so much. It's true, isn't it? Is it an accident? Yeah. It's my vertebrae. It's, and there's a, yeah. I said, oh, it's sweet, honey. Give me your hand. Reach up over the counter. It's going to get better. That this whole experience is going to get better. It's just starting. Give me your hand. I pray for her. She goes, presence of God. She's like in fear and trembling. Reverence. Not not Alfred Hitchcock fear. Reverence fear. Yeah, not Tales of the Crypt. Man, I used to watch that stupid stuff. And then I'd walk up to my bedroom. <laughs> Every closet door, just wait for it to swing over. <laughs> and then we wonder why we got fear in our life. God. And I used to think that was fun. I'd watch all that stuff and freak myself out. Yeah. We train ourselves the wrong way. Man. It's crazy. I don't know why I thought of that, but I used to do that. Now I train myself in Him. But took her hand, prayed. I said, Check your neck. Was it easy to tell? Oh, it's easy to tell. Check your neck. Check, check. She's like, oh my goodness. And the pastor's just standing there. I'm not even, I'm not, I'm not doing it for him. I'm not trying to manifest. It wasn't my fault. <laughs> Serious. I just got an impression. I just want to eat my sub. My sub looks really good. And I just want to eat my sub and I got this little impression. I'm not thinking, okay, I got to demonstrate the gospel for this pastor. I got to show him how real Jesus is and how God works through people. You do that, you're not even going to hear nothing probably. You're going to be like trying hard or something. No, I'm just being me. I'm not looking. I'm not I'm just being me. I'm just getting my sandwich. And it happened. She's so touched. She's weeping. She says, oh my gosh. She grabs her friend, little, just a little thing. She looks so young. She said, can you do this for her? I said, what's wrong with you, honey? I had no word on her. 
She said she was just telling me how she was in so much pain in her body that she's scared, she don't know what's going on, and da-da-da, and she was just telling me this morning she doesn't even know if she could keep doing this job, and she can't even hardly get out of bed, and she's got pain in her whole body. I said, are you serious? You're so young, and it doesn't look like you. Eyes filled with tears. I mean, it was just, I don't know what it was. I don't know what she had. She didn't know. She was afraid to go get it checked. Probably didn't even have money to go get it checked. I said, honey, give me your hand. Oh, my goodness. Do you know Jesus loves you? She's like, no, not really. I said, well, he does. Give me your hand. And we prayed. Presence of God went through every area of her body. She's whoa. She's no pain. She's bawling. They have to make sandwiches for the people. And they're undone. There's a tall black gentleman at the cash register. He's watching and listening to the whole thing. I slide over, I said, how are you doing? He said, I'm fine, I'm totally cool. He said, I'm just fine, man. I said, are you serious? Because this is a good thing, it's nothing to run from. No, no, man, I'm just fine, dude, I'm good. Uh, 11 bucks, you know, whatever. (laughs) So, it was just funny. We go sat down. We sat down, now this is a pastor who's backslidden now for five years. He doesn't even go to church because he's frustrated and mad because he, he tried all this stuff and it didn't work. It's not a method, it's a relationship. Faith isn't a method, guys, it's a lifestyle. Faith isn't try it and see if it works. Faith is the position of your heart to receive what he accomplished. Faith is where you live. And even if you're not receiving what you say you're believing for, you continue to stay in that place of faith. Even if we were talking, I was talking with Patty, even if, even if we have to go and get something done uh, to get something removed or taken care of, or, or even, uh, who was it, Sharon, yesterday with physical therapy, I said, man, it's not one or the other. Even as you're getting something done, physical therapy, be in faith, thank God for restoration. God, I appreciate just the working of my nerves and muscles and how everything's coming into a line. Thank you for wholeness. It's not one or the other. We get so condemned with that stuff. Well, yeah, but if you're doing that, brother, you're compromising faith and you're this and that. Just live in faith. Just enjoy the ride. Thanks for your love for me. Yeah, but brother, yeah, but nothing. You see what I mean? Yeah, but how's that faith? Well, how's it faith if you're just sitting there condemned and you're just holding yourself to a principle that you're not receiving in and you're just sitting there striving and struggling, waiting for the breakthrough? And you're calling that faith. Come on. You know how you can tell a lot of people aren't in faith at all? Because they're frustrated. (laughs) Are you guys okay? Am I being too like... (laughs) <laughs> I sit down with my sub it just was a flow I sit down he sits down I look up I was going to say man you just want to bless this or thank because I'm pretty we're like thank you Jesus right I'm like God thank you yesterday <laughs> we didn't do the Father we just thank you thank you for our food amen I just said Lord thank you it's a relationship I'm thankful it's not a religious prayer. It's, it's not now I lay me down to sleep. God, thanks for the day. Thanks for your faithfulness. You're amazing. I'm so looking forward to tomorrow because you're going to be just as amazing. And thanks you live inside of me. It's going to be so cool sleeping all night and getting up in you. <laughs> Come on. 
on. It's just good. It's relationship. We're going to get religious if, we don't, if we're not careful. And uh, I sit down. I looked up at him. I was going to say, man, you want to bless the food? What do you want to do? Because I'm just a thank you Jesus guy. And I look up, and he's just sitting there staring at me. His eyes are filled with tears. And then he loses it. <laughs> right at the table, he's bawling. I'm thinking, this is good. This has been five years waiting. Get him good, God. Get him so good that he can never think that way again. And I'm thinking, get him, God. I wanted God to just wreck him for his sake. He's bawling. He's shaking his head with his hands over his face. And he's clearing his eyes. He looks at me and he says, it's all about love. That's what he said, he's bawling. He said, I was missing love the whole time. I was just taking God at his word and I forgot to take his heart. It's all about love. Yep, it's all about love. I just didn't say much. I was like, you got it. It was just fun. So who knows that it's not, oh, in these five years, da da da, and I could have been, oh, I'm so dumb. How couldn't I get this? No. Wow, I know now. So the next five can be good, huh? When those girls finished making the sandwiches for those next three or so guys, guess what they did? Flew right over and sat at the table. Hey, where are you from? Oh my God, this is amazing. Tell us more. What really happened over there? You really want to know? Yeah. Okay. You just got fish coming out of the water into the boat. <laughs> keep me, keep me, <laughs> fillet me. No, <laughs> I wish God, no. <laughs> that actually is how it is when I'm fishing. I usually do pretty good. But, but they jumped right in the boat and wanted to know all about Jesus. How sweet is that? And you could tell they had their story just like everybody has their story. But Jesus is amazing. And he's the truth about us, isn't he? So your story really doesn't matter when you understand him, does it? Because he's the truth. These signs will, oh, let's, 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 let's just look at verse 15, Mark 16. Go into all the world and preach the good news, gospel, good news. You ought to take a gospel every day. Serious. I know you take your vitamins, take a gospel. <laughs> Every day. They say an apple a day. I say the gospel a day. Amen. He who believes. He who what? Believe. So the key is believing, isn't it? It's not just confessing. Hey, just pray this prayer with me, dude. No, it's not just pray this prayer with me. It's believing. You can confess all. You know, there's Christians that confess things that they don't believe and their life proves it and they're just trapped in the confession. It's not confess. It's believe with your heart, say with your mouth. He who believes and is baptized will be what? Saved. Saved. That does not mean taken to heaven. It means healed, restored, delivered, protected, made whole, kept safe and sound. It's the word so-so does not mean taken to heaven. It does have the connotation of forgiven and saved in a spiritual state by the forgiveness of your sins. But that word sozo has more of an emphasis on life now than it does after. 
The word sozo pertains more to the life you're living right now. The word saved has more of a direct impact on the life that now is than the one that's to come. It means saved, healed, delivered, protected, preserved, made whole, and kept safe and sound. You can find that definition, all those things right there in the word saved. We grew up believing the word saved means I'm going to heaven. Every one of us grew up with that general mentality. I know we did. And people would come up, Trish, are you saved? Yeah, I'm saved, brother. Are you saved? Yeah. What you're actually saying is I'm healed, delivered, made whole, protected. I'm safe and sound. I'm restored. I'm redeemed through Christ. We've turned it into saved is going to heaven. Salvation is soteria. It means the same thing. They're identical words. I don't even know what makes them different. Sozo and soteria is really salvation and saved. It's the same. Unless it's uh, noun verb stuff. Salvation, saved. Is that what it is? Savior. Savior, they all mean the same thing. So it's just a noun verb thing, but it's two different words because it's different use of English, right? Yeah, or, yeah, I'm not real bright with all that stuff. I just know Jesus is Lord. <laughs> but that's what makes them different. It's a noun verb. Yeah, see, he can teach me. Yeah, I'm teachable. Watch this. He who what? Believes. Whoa, he ties believing and baptized right together. Whoa. Isn't it amazing how Jesus is so simple and clear and then we all say we're trying to run from legalism and, 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 and religion, but yet we'll say things like, well, you don't need to be baptized to, to go to heaven or to, to be saved. It's the blood that saves you, not baptism. And Jesus said, believe and be baptized. He connects the two. Why do we split them? If he said it, it must be important. It must have an absolute amazing perk and benefit. He says, if you believe and are baptized, you will be saved. He who does not believe will be what? Condemned. He doesn't say he who does not believe and is not baptized, because if you don't believe, why bother getting baptized? So he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Now watch. And these signs will follow who? Is he talking about the apostles, uh, the, the original disciples that are going out that he's talking to, or is he talking about the people who believe because they went? Huh? The people who believe because they went, right? How did we ever get that the day of miracles stopped when, like, John passed on, when the last apostle died? It's amazing how people grow up hearing that stuff and then they, they hear it and they tend to believe it and they don't even know why they believe it. They just heard it and they defend it or believe it. There's so many places you can see that that can't possibly be true. Look, he's telling these disciples, he's talking to everybody but Judas right now. Do you understand that? The 11, he's talking to 11 disciples right now. Y'all know that? He just raised from the dead. He's talking to 11 disciples and look what he's saying. He's saying, you guys go out and preach this gospel to everybody. And the ones that believe and are baptized will be saved. And these signs will follow them. Not you, meaning the disciples, them, the believers. Isn't this what he's saying? These signs will follow them in my name. In my name, he emphasizes that. In my name, they will what? Cast out demons. Well, that's something very misunderstood today, and most of us would be freaked out and afraid about the topic. Ooh, demons, ooh, right? Watch the next one. They will speak with, 
Well, that sure split up some camps and divided some borders and stuff. That whole topic, praying in tongues over the years. Jesus said the people that believe the gospel and are baptized, the first signs, they'll cast out devils. The second sign is they'll speak in new tongues. And now we're saying, well, tongues is of the devil. Well, tongues isn't for today. Well, you better be aware of them. People are talking about praying in tongues. Isn't it amazing how all this stuff got scrambled up? I bet we are in a war. I bet there is schemes and wiles of the devil. And I bet sometimes we aren't hearing the voice of God very clear. <laughs> what do you think? Oh, my goodness. I woke up. I got saved June 9th of 95. Woke up in the morning praying in tongues like it was ridiculous. I <laughs> said, so you'll never take it from me. Nobody talked me into it. It was just there. I was so aware of the spirit. I woke up in love. I was, I don't even know if I slept. <laughs> I might have dozed off in the morning. I was so undone. I woke up in the morning. Lord, I just thank you for new life. You're real. Oh my God. I was praying in tongues. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so like when you talk about computers, it's. And the very next thing that happened to me was my definition of manhood came to mind what I thought it was to be a man and I saw it finally for the first time for what it really was and I went oh my god you couldn't have made me this way it's so selfish I was saved for 12 hours thought of my manhood in the bedroom with the door closed my definition of manhood with the locker room taught me what reading a pornography magazine at age 11 that I found on the railroad tracks taught me and what my buddies taught me <sighs> I remember bawling and saying, there's no way you could have made me this way. Oh my God. It's at the expense of another for my own sake. Because I knew what drove me. I knew my life. And I went, wow. I started bawling. I knelt. And I cried and said, Jesus, I believe you can set me free from this. You didn't make me this way. You can make me right. I don't ever want to live this way again. And it felt like I got washed. It was the most amazing experience in my life. It was just, well, there was a lot of them since then, but they all seemed like the most amazing experience in my life. <laughs> you follow me? It was like I got washed. And uh, that was the thing, but the praying in tongues was right there. Well, I get reading my Bible and I go, well, yeah, of course. It's supposed to be that way. You know what happens to us? We're taught other things in our life and then we have this trouble in the soul embracing and we hear horror stories and people that have misappropriated things and then we have issues with, with topics because we heard negativity. Right? To the pure, all things are pure. There's a place of restoration of innocence. I know people say, well, I ain't sure about that because I was taught this. Well I, was taught, well, I know a friend that went in a little back room and they said, say yabba dabba do backwards. <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. You, better, you hear stuff like that, right? We've misappropriated grace and things. So we, then people hear these horror stories. It's amazing how the horror stories spread like fire. And, uh, and, and, and how the good news, the truth, gets kind of swept to the corner. It's amazing how people hear the negativity and it spreads like, I wonder who's behind all that. These signs what? Might follow? They will follow. 
In my name, they'll cast out demons, they'll speak in new tongues, they'll take up serpents. It means you're just not gonna live in fear is really how I'd like to define that for you today, okay? It doesn't mean you have to go out and pick up rattlesnakes to prove you're saved. Now, I think rattlesnakes are pretty cool and every time I bump into one, I have to mess with it and play with it. See if they'll bite the bottom of my shoe and just see if I can just mess with them. I just have to. I, just, I mean, I like snakes. I think they're pretty cool. <laughs> and if they drink any deadly what? Wow. Look how the language is in your Bible. I don't know if, if your Bible reads like mine. Maybe yours doesn't. It will by no means. Sounds pretty a matter of fact, huh? You know what he's saying in this section right here? Don't you ever live with fear. It's not the will of God. Fear is not God. Vulnerability is fear. You'll drink any deadly thing and it what? By no means hurt you. Does that mean that you're supposed to go up to a bottle marked cyanide and say, ha ha, thank God, I'm a Christian. That's ridiculous. What it means is you take something in that's toxic, you take something in your body that has ramifications, certainly innocently, certainly because you're in a country and the water's not clean. There's actually a place for you to hold it up and bless it and all things are sanctified through thanksgiving. There's a place for faith. There's a place to believe that. You follow what I'm saying? When I, when I got saved, I started reading and realizing this stuff and as I got older, I realized I was foolish as a kid. Like I, I, was, I was in the city, but I had a country boy heart. And I didn't like being in the city and I'd get out of the city as much as I could. City life wasn't what I was made for in the sense of 24-7 hanging out in the city. But I had to. I grew up in the city. But I would take off for the country all the time. And my best friend's last name was Boone and my name was Daniel. So they called us the Daniel Boone team. Because we would go out in the country all the time. And I'm always out outdoors fishing. But I drank... I drank some of the most ridiculous sources of water all my life. It's horrifying in the natural. And it doesn't mean a thing. (laughs) Like my body's not a time bomb waiting to blow up. I'm a brand new creature sanctified through the blood. And I'm like really pumped. But I drank out of, just Mill Creek runs right through the city. It's right there along 83, Mill Creek. I drank 457 gallons of Mill Creek probably. I drank out of little spring heads I thought that were coming out from under the highway and I remember drinking and you could smell the oil and I think boy that smells like oil (laughs) my whole life as a kid isn't that something and it doesn't mean a thing now watch this I'll get you in a sec watch this they'll drink any deadly thing the average Christian with the mindset we have and the vulnerability levels we carry, could read an article today that says new, big, bold print. You know how media is, right? New finding. 99.9% cause of cancer for sure. Exclamation point, exclamation, exclamation. And you're going to read that article because it's already grabbed your eye. You read it and it says, this preservative is now known and realized by scientific evidence that it is the almost number one result and manufacturer of cancer in the human body. And and they start sharing why. And then they say, and it is found in these products. And you're reading that list. And you're four down the list and realize you've been eating all four of them your whole life. And now you see one and you go, well, I haven't eaten that. Oh my God, five, six. 
I'm telling you. And you're reading that article and natural knowledge is speaking to you. And you realize, and next thing you know, you feel like you have to pray a prayer for God to cleanse you. And when you do that, the very moment you do that, what you're actually saying is, I'm vulnerable to what I'm reading. Instead of, I'm vulnerable to what we just read. Amen. There's a difference. And I understand that if you have a little concern and you have a little thing that you might feel like you need to get prayer. But what I'm saying is, it's not a right or wrong thing there. What I'm saying is, let's deal with the vulnerability. If God came and saved us while we were yet sinners, do you think he can save us from that natural knowledge? Why don't we do this when we read that article? God, I so thank you that you did what you did and, and nothing by any means will hurt me. Oh my God, if you wouldn't have sent Jesus, God, I'd die. There's no way I could live on this earth. I would be a fearful mess. God, and you crumple the article in, a, in, a, in an expression of worship that you're absolutely fine as if you never ate those things because it was all ignorance anyway. Now who knows, now you have the natural knowledge, you're probably not just gonna go buy a case of whatever it says is full of that stuff. But who knows that you can submit that to the mercy of God and be absolutely vulnerable free because of a scripture like this. Now here's my thought, why is that scripture in there? Do you think God doesn't see environment? You don't think God doesn't see the year 2011? You think God doesn't see mass population, preservatives, and the whole nine yards of the demand and food and the processing? And You don't think God saw all that when he spoke this? You're in the world, and see, Christians are notorious for going, I'm in the world, but not of it, praise the Lord, and chanting these scriptures on a Sunday when the music's right. But it's better to just believe them on Monday. <laughs> okay? You're in the world and not of it. Amen? So, so you'll by no means be what? Hurt. Oh my goodness, look what he saved for last here. They're all awesome. It's not that they're one, two, three, four, five. They will, they what? They will. Now wait, now whoa, wait. Who's he talking about? People that believe through the disciples' message. He's not talking about the disciples at all. He's talking about us, guys. Look, the only reason you're sitting here is because the 11 went. <laughs> if the 11 didn't go, we wouldn't even be here. So is he talking about us? We're a byproduct of their faithfulness. They went and they did it. And here we sit today. It's amazing. They will lay hands on the... Is this red letters in your Bible? Is this Jesus talking? If you don't have a red letter edition, is it Jesus talking? That's all I mean by red letters. And they will what? Recover. Or get well, like your translation says. So the evidence of believing we covered the other day is getting your hands on the sick. Just for a small second, forget the healing part. Let's just get our hands on people, right? In love. Absolutely. We spend enough time talking about love. We, we need to know that. They will. That's good that you said that, Jennifer. 
They will lay hands on the sick and they what? So the first sign of a believer is what? Laying hands on the sick. We shared the other day, the fact that we don't lay hands on the sick means we have a lot of other things we're believing or not believing. Isn't it amazing all the issues and stumbling blocks in the area of healing that keep us from being confident to lay our hands on the sick? Do you see that there's a mentality on the earth that's trying to subvert the gospel? There's a mindset that works in people that's contrary to things that Jesus said. And that's what you gotta protect yourself from. I know I got some hands going here. Martha had her hand up. Jenny, did you have something else? Yes, I just want to add, this is a really good place to add it to. Okay. We don't understand the word blessed. I'm praying over my food one day, and as we usually do, Father blesses his food. And, it's like, and very clearly, he says, why are you asking me to do that? I've given you the ability to do that. And then I started getting downloaded scripture after scripture and going through it, and God taught me this. Us, as Christians, the word blessed, okay? It means to be endued with power. Now, I looked up endued. Endued means to be clothed without and power within. And God taught me this so clearly. It was just one of the best Holy Ghost moments I've ever had. Hold your hand over the plate and then do your food with power. And it cleanses it. Because it, and, and then it just occurred to me about laying your hands on the sick. We are endued with power. We're blessed. That means endued with power. That's what it means. And we, can, we, we have the ability to impart that power anywhere. That's what healing is. That's what it is. You just have to believe that. And of course, right. do it in love. You understand what she's saying? Okay. So you go, you, you pray every, you know, sandwich, you're a gift. I bless you. You're, you're empowered to nourish my body and to do me justice. And thank you, God, for the gift of food, blah, blah, blah. So there's, you're, you're, not, you're not praying as if you're afraid this thing's going to hurt you and God protect me. You're actually blessing your food. Same, same for anything. It's, you don't realize, I don't realize maybe sometimes the, authority and the power we've been given to speak forth the will of God, the heart of God, the blessing of God. Do you understand? The, the key with eating is thanksgiving. It says if I receive anything with thanksgiving, it's sanctified and set apart for my good. That's why we don't complain. Ah, oh, chili again. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah, that's a zero. Chili again. We need chili all week. Well, no, thank God we have food and we're not starving and there's countries that would scarf this down so quick. God, thank you. Thank you, without you we'd starve. Thank you, God, for the provision and the blessing of this chili. And you ate it for the last three days. That sure beats getting fleshy and complaining about food that's sustaining. That's what they did in the wilderness, by the way. After a while, the manna was worthless to them even though it was their provision and the supernatural sign of God that was keeping them alive in the middle of nowhere. And all of a sudden they disdained it and said, same old stuff. What is it anyway? Blah, tired of eating this junk. Complaining. When you're complaining, who are you thinking of? <laughs> it's a big zero, I promise. It says that don't you complain like they did in the wilderness and were destroyed by the destroyer. So complaining is a setup for destruction. How's that? That's 2 Corinthians 10. You have all these things, or 1 Corinthians 10, you have all these things written about them in the wilderness for your admonition, it says, so you don't make the same mistakes and follow them. So don't complain like they did. It says it flat out. Philippians 2 says, do all things without grumbling or complaining. When you're complaining, it is an absolute expression that I'm still living for me, myself, and I, and I ain't satisfied, and somebody better serve it up right. <laughs> 
That's a zero. You follow me? Come on, it's a zero. Complaining is a pretty dead giveaway. Probably time to change the way we think. So we take up servants, we drink any deadly thing, it will by no means hurt us. Watch, so after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God. And look, my goodness, look what they did. They went out and preached everywhere. They actually did what he said. (laughs) Yay, guys. (laughs) They went out and preached everywhere, and what happened? The Lord worked with them, confirming the word through accompanying what? Signs, so be it. Isn't that awesome? So they went, and here we sit. So verse 16 and 17, 15, 16, 17 is directly speaking to us, isn't it? So is it the will of God to cast out devils, to pray in new tongues, to live fearless and not be subdued by the world and the things in the world, and to lay hands on the sick and they recover? New Testament reality for the church of Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? It's really awesome. If you want to back up, you can see in verse 9. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. That's talking about Jesus' resurrection in Mark 16, 9. Watch this. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. See, we have this stuff written so we learn and never make these mistakes. Watch this. She went and told those who had been with him as they, what? Mourned and wept. Now watch. They're mourning and weeping and he's raised from the dead. (laughs) That's so convicting. They're mourning and weeping and he's alive. (laughs) She's telling them he's alive and they're going, whatever, and they're mourning and weeping still. You see what happens? Happens to us all the time. People come and say, man, I was here, I was there, God did this, God did that, and our minds are programmed to go, well, how come that stuff never worked? Well, how come I ain't never seen that? I ain't never happened when I seen you pray for the sick. And all these thoughts, contrary thoughts, negative thoughts. Watch. She came and told, and when they heard that he was alive, they didn't even believe it. So they're mourning, they're weeping, and the truth is he's alive. Do you know there's a lot of people mourning and weeping and he's alive? (laughs) There's a lot of people saying, he's alive. And they're going, whatever. Don't you see this? Well, you don't know how I feel. Well, you ain't been what I've been through. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Well, you don't have my life. Oh my goodness, that's so convicting. It's ridiculous. Watch this. And when they had heard that he was alive and seen, they, they didn't believe. Watch. After that, he appeared. He's doing his best. He, he says, after that, he appeared in another form <laughs> to two of them. And as they walked in, and they went and told it to the rest. So now he's sending other messengers, came in another form. And now you got two guys or two people on the way to Emmaus, whether it was a, a man and a woman or, or two men, it doesn't matter. They went and they didn't believe them either. So people are coming, they're in duress, they're weeping and mourning, they're living by what they see and what they feel. And messengers are coming saying, hey, he's alive. Hey, I got good news for you. Jesus raised from the dead. The stones rolled away. He's alive. Whatever, man. You don't know my life. You're only excited because you ain't got my trials. You need to get out of here. (laughs) 
<laughs> Look what Jesus did. Later, he appeared. And look what he did. Hey, guys, I missed you. It's so good to see you. Nope. <laughs> it says he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. In other words, what are you guys doing? It's not condemnation. He's just shaking them out of unbelief. He said, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Man, that's Mary, your sister. Well, you think she's whacked? She's looking at you going, that she saw me. What? So it's the two guys from a mess. You, you don't think, what do you think? They're just delusional? <laughs> Unbelief and what? Hardness of heart. That's something from time to time I ask God to just be sure isn't in me. Ever. By grace, let my heart be so soft and pliable. God, so flexible, so shapeable, conform to you. God, that I would retain, reproduce, and multiply. Let my heart be so fresh and alive in you. Good soil in me, God. I don't want the hardness of heart, the deceitfulness of sin. God, my heart in a good place, receiving the good seed of your word, retaining it and reproducing it, God. Crop 60, 100-fold, thank you. It's a good prayer. Yay. <laughs> Thank you. Why did he rebuke their unbelief and hardness of heart? Why? Look, because they did not believe him, because they didn't even believe those who bore witness of him. Wow. So he must take it pretty serious that he sent us forth as messengers. He didn't rebuke them because they didn't believe him. He rebuked them because they didn't believe those who had seen him. Wow. So then the devil goes, hmm, let me just get some misrepresentation. Let me get some fraudulent stuff. Let me get some things twisted so that people lose their trust in the messengers. Let me make sure that people don't know what to believe. You see? Wow. You want to see something beautiful? And we're going to go for a break. Because Susan's standing back there. It's our cue to go to the potty. <laughs> Thank you, dear. You're so good. Watch. Their hardness of heart because they did not what? So now watch. This is the next breath. So, so, here's, so it's like, Jennifer, what are you doing, honey? Didn't I speak of all these things? Didn't I tell you I'd rise on the third day? Come on, I've conquered death. You've been under the fear of death. I know death and the fear of death has blinded your eyes. I know you've loved me and you've been sentiment towards me and you're thinking I'm dead. But, but when Mary came and said, and when the guys from Emmaus said, come on, you should have believed them when they said they saw me because it's all about faith in me and believing me. So, so Jennifer, don't be hard in your heart ever again. Now listen, honey, you go into the whole world and you preach this good news. He's rebuking them for their hardness of heart and unbelief and in the same breath, he's releasing them into the world to preach him. No sabbatical, no discipleship class, no 13-week kingdom living school. I'm not, I mean, thank God for all. (laughs) He walks in the room and goes, guys, what are you doing? You're so much more than this. You should have believed. Now get out there and preach to the world. 
He corrects them and sends them in the same two minutes. Isn't it awesome? Isn't it so freeing? Isn't that cool? So it's not like, boy, I got some issues to deal with. I need to go spend a week in the mountains, brother. No, you need to go into all the world and preach this good news. Because the greatest expression of believing, of being on page, is expressing and revealing. You'd be amazed how just breaking away. There's times to break away and get alone. There's times to be amazed how there's seeds of condemnation in some of that stuff works and not even a healthy identity. Sometimes it's good to receive the correction and get up and just go do what you've been called to do. It's right here in your Bible. Or you'll stay a step behind conscious as if you have issues. And you don't have issues, you have a commission and you have enough grace to fulfill it. So it's not about what you haven't been doing, it's about what you're called to. Is that proof? He comes and corrects them and in one moment's time releases them to go into the world. Whoa. So thank you, Father. You guys gonna go take a break? Go take a break. We'll see you in a little. When the music stops, you better be in your chair. (laughs) Amen. And, and here's why, so that the will of God, the will of God to heal and to heal through you is established in your heart, so you understand the yes and amen of God. Uh, and I'm gonna talk, talk, talk real plain about this. You, if you let your experience or somebody else's experience begin to dictate your belief system or lack of experience, it's automatic already deception. It's automatic deception. It doesn't matter what did and didn't happen in your life. It matters what that book says. And we're growing up into it. I'm serious. There is countless books on Christian bookstore shelves of people's stories and experiences and justifying away things and that's at the cost of what Jesus said. And we're thinking that we still find God through life. No, we find God through Jesus' life or life's just an experiment and we live it as it comes. You don't take life as it comes. You take him as he's come and face life. You follow me? You're gonna be very deceived. You're just gonna let life be your teacher. Why did Jesus say, call no man on earth your teacher? You don't have any other teacher. You have one teacher. The truth about God is found through Christ. If it's not coming through Christ, it's not knowledge at all. It's not the truth about God. You have one teacher. He's the Christ. Life is not your teacher. (laughs) Jesus is your teacher (laughs) the biggest mistake we've made is we've watched how things have panned out and then we've defined God through the outcome and wonder if the outcome isn't God does the thief come to steal, kill and destroy does he destroy for the lack of knowledge so if those things are in place is the outcome God this is a pretty precarious time if we define the outcome as God if it's not God We, we are such rational people. You don't realize how we value our opinion. 
<laughs> I mean it. I'm just being real. I've heard it all. I've heard, well, you can't tell me. It's just a little mustard seed of faith. And you can't tell me that if the whole church was praying for them and they died, there wasn't somebody in a mustard seed of faith. That's the stuff you hear. That's the questions. Contentious, challenging, and full of human opinion and reasoning. Well, now it backs us up. Let's get raw. Let's face raw with raw. So if you're talking to me like that and you can't tell me, so then I guess Jesus didn't say what he said or the book's not true or something. What are you suggesting? Because if I can't take this book as it reads, then why am I even reading it? Come on, if I'm going to value my opinion above what it says and I'm going to value my rationale in the way that seems right and talk my way around it and come up with some kind of mental justification, psychological justification, why am I even reading the Bible? Look, if he said that I will lay my hands on the sick and they will recover, there's a place for that truth to be revealed in my life as I stay humble before him. Even if I'm not seeing anybody healed. Remember Todd's story? How he prayed for hundreds of people and didn't see anybody get healed as far as say, wow, I'm healed. Hundreds. He'd call me every day and tell me he prayed for eight, ten people. And I'd say, what's going on? Did you see anything happen? Are you seeing any healing? He'd say, well, nobody said they were healed. But I said, okay. He said, but I'm going to do it because the Bible says if I believe. So he said, there's just something wrong with my believer. And God's got to be forming my faith because I'm not backing off. It's the will of God to pray for the sick. He said, if I believe, I'm laying hands on the sick. So I'm going after this. I said, that's amazing. Good. There was people in his life that were telling him, well, you need to bridle yourself. You're like a wild horse. You need to be more selective. You need to tune into the ear of God. You need, he said, yeah, but it says go whatever city I'm in, heal the sick. I just need to pray for the sick. Yeah, but if you were in the will of God, they'd be getting healed. And, and they were rationalizing his experience. And I'm sure glad he didn't listen to people. Isn't it awesome? I'm not devaluing one another, but it's sure good to not just listen to people. People are saying what God's saying, that's one thing. But if you're saying, well, let me tell you what I think, that's probably scary. (laughs) Or, here's one, well, this is how I feel about it. (laughs) Love you. (laughs) No, thank you. It really doesn't matter how you feel about it. It matters what God says. And there's a place to understand and walk people through things. But what I'm saying is we're so quick to throw our opinion. Well, this is what I feel. You know, Mike over there to Kimberly. Can you help me, buddy? Thanks. So I want you to see a couple of these scriptures quick. This is Jesus talking. Well, let's, let's let, let Kimberly. Uh, um, I just... This kind of goes back to this healing stuff that you were talking about yesterday, and it's just interesting. I, I've been reading a book that goes through a lot of the Greek stuff and, like, stuff I don't normally read, but in my mind, I don't know, the Lord's just been bringing this healing thing about, and I'm trying to search it out. But there's a couple things that are tripping me up a little bit that I wanted to ask you about because you talked about it yesterday. Okay. Um, we talked about uh, Matthew where the, the passage with the father bringing the son and saying, I can't remember where it is exactly, but... Um, Matthew 17, it's in Mark 9, too. Mark 9 is a very condensed version. I would never encourage you to just preach out of Mark 9. And that's what this guy went to Mark 9. and Most people preach out of Mark 9. And I understand what he was saying. And 
he wasn't just saying because it was a kin like he was getting it from like all the Greek nouns and, and verbs and everything was used and he was like well Jesus was talking to um, both of them and then used other passages um, where the four men dropped the man for the roof to, to be healed and he said he was talking about the faith of all of them including the man that was sick because of these words and whatever I've also heard it said that you know, like with the woman with the issue of blood, it, he says it was your faith that healed you. I've heard a minister say, um, well, that was Old Covenant, which is true because it's before, you know, he's crucified and rose again and all that. So I'm just kind of, in my mind, this at this point is tripping me up. Like I knew, I know if I go to the grocery store today and someone kind of gives me that, you know, because sometimes people are like, they don't want you to pray for them, but you're like, no, I want to believe even though you're not believing. I'm at a point now where I'm like, oh, I just need this cleared up in my mind because I know that if I went to the grocery store right now and someone was like, well, I'm not believing, was real stubborn about it, I would hesitate to believe myself. Um, so I'm trying to figure out, like, I guess just clarity. On that's fine. No, that's a good comment, question. Let me, let me respond, okay? Faith is what he's looking for. Is it just faith in the person? Do you need agreement? When those four guys lower a man through the roof, it says, and Jesus seeing their faith, okay? The guy's paralyzed. There's no indication that the guy said, look, haul me over there, do what you have to, but get me in the room because Jesus is going to get me up. There's no indication. Jesus saw their faith. So it just boils down to the kingdom. We carry the kingdom. He's honoring a principle that 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 works period without I know that sounds like methodology when I say that a principle that works what I'm saying is faith in a person releases God's kingdom that's all I'm saying so when Jesus saw their faith for the man so watch this let's paint a couple pictures if the man had no faith that was paralyzed on the mat these guys obviously did and must have had love for him to take the time to tear off a man's roof and lower him down something's pretty awesome about that so there's something about their heart for the man called love called faith that Jesus recognized that we know for sure we know they had faith because it says their faith it didn't say his faith it said their faith but if we preach and make too much out of that as if they had to have a corporate faith for that man to get healed we're going to misunderstand the Bible because the just shall live by Faith. Anyone that has faith can say to the mountain, be moved. Wonder if that mountain's in another person. It doesn't say anything about the other person. It says you have faith, you say to the mountain. So if you see it as an obstacle and outside the will of God, that would be a mountain. Anything outside of the will of God. Okay? Boom. You speak faith, speaks to the mountain, and the mountain what? moves so it has nothing to do with the person uh the woman with the issue of blood he saw her faith or it was her faith that made you you healed your faith has saved you is how the bible says he says take heart daughter your faith has saved you well that's awesome he's honoring faith he's encouraging nobody prayed for her she pressed in there's great teachings on all that ministers tear that one up with just preaching because she touched the hem of his garment and the garments that they wore the hem the tassels it was the sign of covenant and the outer rim of the garment and there's a place where there's you know people teach and she touched the sign of covenant <sighs> healed right pressed through the crowds so what was the other uh, now oh the man he said help me he said he said uh 
Let's just look at Mark 9 quick. Mark 9 is just such a condensed version. You've got to read Mark 9 and Matthew 17 to get the whole picture, okay? Uh, Verse 14, when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running and greeted him. What are you discussing with them? He asked the scribes. The one said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. It seizes him. Now watch, there's a great dispute and there's stuff going on. Why are they disputing? Watch, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. Whenever it seizes him, or, or wherever it seizes him, it throws him down, foams at the mouth, gnashes. I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Uh, bring the boy to me. They brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit you know, threw him to the ground, manifested all this stuff. It, it, in other words, it went extreme. He, he said to the father, how long has this been happening to him? He said, from childhood. And often it has thrown him, et cetera, et cetera. Now watch. If you can do anything. So who's he putting it on? No, no, the man said it to Jesus. If you can do anything. So who's the man putting this on? Jesus, right? Now watch. When you have that mentality, if you can do anything, help my son, and you don't see a breakthrough with your son, guess what you're automatically forced to believe? That he doesn't want to or he can't. Jesus flips his mentality because he's trying to teach us a new and living way. It's a new covenant. He's saying, but, I mean, this is as low level as you can possibly be right now. You're looking at Jesus, the Son of God, Son of Man, Jesus in the flesh, God in the flesh, and you're saying, if you can do anything, I mean, that's like as low a revelation as you can. Look, if you can do anything, pal, help me. You're talking to Jesus, whom nothing was made that wasn't made through him. He was there in the beginning. He was with God, right? If you can do anything, have compassion. And Jesus said, what's he really said? If I can do anything? No, if you could just believe. No, he's talking to every one of us, guys. If you can believe. He's shifting the whole thing to faith. It's not about if I, remember Mary and Martha at Lazarus' tomb? If you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Do you hear the sting in that one? If you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. We're going to look at that in a minute. And we're going to really nail this faith and unbelief thing and stuff. Now watch this. He says, oops, look at that. My Bible automatically went to Matthew 17. (laughs) Really, it did. I don't even know how it got there. Matthew 17 is really happy to me. He says, if you can do anything. So does this guy have faith? No, he's actually saying, look, if you got what it takes, help my boy. Right. Now, let me ask you this. Why was there a great discussion and a great disputing among the people? Because he, he wasn't being healed. 
And the Pharisees, well, who do you think you are to be praying? Well, just because you think you're running with Jesus, you can just go heal anybody. It ain't always God's will to heal. Not everybody that you pray for is going to be healed. And you guys need to back off and cool down. You ain't, even, you ain't even scribes and Pharisees. Who do you think you are? You'd be amazed what was going on. They're disputing. Jesus, what are you guys fussing about? Great dispute. Because I brought my son, your disciples, they could not. As soon as we don't get the result, it causes a great dispute, doesn't it? Some people, I went to a funeral one time. I was asked to do a funeral. So I'm doing the funeral. And it was just somebody I had known and their, 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 their dad had passed. And he called me. I said, are you okay? Well, you need to stand and believe him for dad. And dad passed, so are you okay? Man, where's your mind? How are you thinking? He kind of smoothed over and gave me some words. Told me years later that it hit him so hard that he backslid for three, four, five years. Found that out after the backslide. Well, it stems back to when dad passed. I'm doing the funeral. I'm in the middle of doing the funeral. And I went. And I realized the animosity in the room. I realized that there's half the people in the room were actually not even mourning the death. They were going, I told you so. It's not always God's will to heal. See, there he lays. And they were using his death as the confirmation of their belief system. And the other half of the room was hurt and broken, saying, man, I know we believe, we were praying, why'd he die? Man, I can't believe we lost him. We prayed, we believed. God, where were you? And there was this, it was almost like this one half was almost gloating in his death because it proved their belief. And, the, and his death isn't what proves anything. God's word is what proves. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, not the fact that somebody died when you prayed for him or lived. It's what God said. And right in the middle of the funeral, and I'm just this kind of fella, I just froze. Because I perceived it. I saw it. I didn't know what was going on. I caught it in the spirit. And I started to weep, and I got real intense. And I said, how dare we? And I talked about how insensitive and how on the day of this man, when we want to honor and lift his life as a memory and an honor unto God that we're here using his death as a this or this. And da, 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 da. I address both sides of the room, so to speak. And then everybody said, I hit it hard. How dare we? What do you think they were arguing over? What was the disputing? The fact that he wasn't being healed. And people have a lot to say. A lot to say. Here's the thing you want to grab out of this, Kimberly. If you can do anything, have compassion, help us. The Lord said, if you can believe. What's the promise? All things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cries out and says with tears, Lord, I believe. And he's like, because that's the right answer. 
You want to, Jesus just said, if you believe all things are possible, this is my son. I want him so free. I'm tired of him flopping around in the spirit. And Lord, I believe. And in the same breath, he says, help me in my unbelief. It's a pretty humble heart cry. Look what Jesus did. Jesus saw the people came running together. He saw that the people came running together. He rebuked his spirit, said, come out of him and enter him no more. And I'd encourage you to pray that way when you believe it's infirmity and stuff. Command it to not come back. Don't send it anywhere. Just tell it to not come back. Okay? And the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and he became as one dead. The many said he's dead. Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. When he had come to the house and said... Uh, privately and said the disciples privately said why couldn't we cast it out he said this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting so people teach out of that and miss the rest of the story of Matthew 17 of the whole topic of unbelief perverse thinking because unbelief is clearly mentioned here what do you think the dispute was over human reasoning the soul the way that seems right to man and letting the outcome determine truth instead of Jesus who's the truth the outcome of a situation or Jesus He's the truth always, isn't he? Isn't he? Yay. So you can see this scenario. You can see it with blind Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus cries out to Jesus. Jesus keeps walking, and everybody tries to hush him and tell him, look, what are you crying out for? Don't you see the guy walked by? Come on, if he was going to heal you, he'd have stopped and healed you. In fact, if he wanted to heal you, and if it was the will of God, you wouldn't even be blind in the first place. And they try to hush a man. He knows he's the son of God. He knows he's the savior. You see, Dan, you're speculating. They didn't say that. Well, why were they trying to hush him? He's crying out. Jesus doesn't respond. He just keeps walking. The Syrophoenician lady, Lord, help me. My daughter's in trouble. And Jesus doesn't say a word. Why? Because anybody can cry out initially in need. It does not mean it's faith. He's teaching us. We do it all the time. We cry out because we have need, guys. It's not because we believe his love for us. It's not because we understand the gospel. We are driven by need. Help! And help doesn't come and our minds go, come on, help me, Lord. My daughter's severely suffering and he doesn't say a word. Well, that's a reason to be offended, never go back to church, and I don't need God. I cried out. He just ignored me. But she kept crying out. Why? Because she settled in her heart who he was and the truth and his desire for her daughter. She's a Gentile. She doesn't even have a right to the covenants and promise, but yet she believes in her heart. Uh, she might have even known certain writings that said, you know, that this is for all men, that I'll, I'll make a people that, my people that weren't my people, etc. She, she might have said, I know you're here for the Jews first, but I believe you love everyone. Whatever she believed caused her to press in. You follow me? Now, what do we do If we cry out and it seems like God didn't answer, our minds engage. And if our minds engage, guess what follows shortly after? Our mouth. Well, yeah, but brother, I prayed. I cried out to God. In fact, when I prayed, it just got worse. See what I'm saying? 
And then we let that matter and speak and teach and train. And yet the Bible says what it says. Blind Bartimaeus, he's sitting there. Son of David, that's a, that's a messianic term. That's a term meaning I believe you're the Savior. You're the Messiah. Son of David, have mercy on me. And now the crowd's trying to hush him. Whether they said, look, there's a lot of other people with needs. Stop being so selfish. Look, you already cried out. He didn't answer you. Look, he's a half a block away. Well, he walked right by you, dude. If he wanted you healed, he just stopped. He'd already known before you asked. He's the Lord. He just, you're just not in the plan today. You're not in the program of God, okay? It's just not your time. It's obviously not the will of God. Look, can you see? If you could see, it would be the will of God. You can't see. It's not the will of God for you to see or you'd see. That's how men talk. That's how we talk today, even though Christ has already come. Thank God Bartimaeus didn't buy any of it. And thank God he settled in his heart. All I know is he's the son of David and he's my savior. He's my hope. He's the life. And he yelled above all that. And that's where you find faith. When you have every reason not to believe and continue to believe, wonder if that's faith. The Syrophoenician woman was faced with reasons why to give up. Natural circumstances pointed to let go. And she held on. Bartimaeus had natural reasons to stop crying and he cried louder. These things are written in your Bible for a reason. It's because we're not needs driven. We believe who he is. You follow me? We're not needs driven. We believe who he is. Did the father have faith just because he said, Lord, I believe? I'll tell you, he had humility. He said, help me in my unbelief. So he was accepting Jesus at his word. But obviously, the goods are revealed when he spoke. Out of your heart, your mouth speaks. If you can do anything, have compassion. This is a very low level line of belief. Because if your son doesn't get healed, you believe Jesus doesn't love you. Right? In that belief. And then your prayer becomes a one-time venture. Are you following me? Jesus saw the crowds coming and just healed the boy and got it all over with. You have to understand why he's doing that. They're constantly pressuring him to be natural king. He takes a man outside the city that's blind to heal him and we teach he had to get him out of the atmosphere of unbelief. Well, he told two other blind men that he healed to tell no one because they were in the house. Tell no one of this. Why? Because he doesn't want him to testify and share the good news. No, he doesn't want to draw attention to himself to where the Jews try to make him natural king and overthrow Rome. That's not why he's here. He's here to be the spiritual king. It's probably the reason Judas betrayed him, probably, if you really look at it. He comes into Jerusalem and everybody's receiving him and they're laying down palm branches and they're honoring him and he's healing all their sick and he's speaking in a way where all of a sudden they realize he has no intentions of sitting on the throne and overthrowing Rome, he's talking spiritual. So three days later, they're crying out for Barabbas and killing him. Three days before, they're entering him into the city as if it's a welcome fit for a king. Three days later, they're crucifying him. Same people. Something shifted. Failed expectation, let down. Forget this spiritual stuff. We need to face reality. We're under the oppression of Rome now. Who cares about tomorrow? I want free now. You need to be king now. Whatever happened, it was twisted. You follow me? So, so here's the deal. If you look at that whole story, 
Was there faith there? Well, there was faith enough to ask Jesus for help. Jesus saw the crowds coming, and what did he do? Healed the boy. He said, this kind come out not by prayer and fasting. Most teachers teach out of Mark 9 period and say you can't cast out the devil unless you fast and pray and turn fasting into works. If you read Matthew 17, you understand that fasting brings you into the place where you're moving in authority and power because you're seeing through Jesus and know who you are because of him and nothing else gets in the way. Come on, just like Kimberly's humble confession, if I see somebody in the supermarket right now and they act like they're not sure and don't want prayer, I don't know how I'd respond. I feel like it would make me draw back. Why? Because the mind has, is engaged and it tends to have voice, power, and influence. And fasting brings to a place where it, none of it matters. What you see is Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. I just shared the testimony about the man in the Wegmans. He said, well, we got one problem. I don't believe any of what you're telling me. I just told him to look me right in the eyes. Said, it's not a problem, I believe. So what did I do? Represent Christ to him. Do you think that God's love changes because he can't see what I'm saying? But in a minute, he can receive what I'm saying and it'll help him to see. You follow me? Do you understand that Jesus ministered in the face of unbelief constantly? Do you understand that he came to his own and they knew him not? That the world was made through him and yet the world did not know him? Who are you? Well, that's weird. Well, nobody ever told us that before. He came saying, you say, but I say. You say, but I say. He's coming as truth in the midst of the fall of man and people didn't have a grip and yet he healed every one of their sick that he touched. Under the law of sin and death, not one was born again. Every man offended, hurt, every man to some degree, offended, hurt, and with unforgiveness and generational curses. And everyone's healed. Without counsel, without talking about any of that stuff, just the power of love and revelation and life, like a freight train. And that Jesus told you and me to follow him, and we're still trying to rationalize our way through and minister and Christian detective and open every closet door instead of just become like Christ. I don't see where Jesus told us to do half the stuff we do. <laughs> he, he says, how long has this been happening? And we turn that into, he asked this guy, how long has that been happening? And we turn that into, it's amazing what we've turned that into. The spirits say, don't cast us into the abyss, cast us into those swine, and we turn that into something that is just unbelievable. And we miss the simple message. The simple message is this. He didn't plea bargain with the devil, and he didn't, he, he, the, the devil actually asked to go to something under the law that was already cursed. He just went where he belonged. The hogs were forbidden. The Jews weren't even supposed to have pigs. They weren't even allowed to eat pigs. They were unclean. So what the devil's saying is, just cast me to where it's unclean. Yeah, that's where you belong. Go. <laughs> We've made so much out of that one little story. Now we got people creating tunnels in the spirit to send them through to go to the abyss and so they don't go to get in on that. We got all kinds of stuff out there because that one little story, we've made it a giant doctrine. And just miss the simplicity of it. The devil's exposed. He's going, oh my God. 
you're going to torment me here. You're going to cast me. Don't cast me to the abyss. I know there's a day where I'm, watch what the devil's saying. I know I can't beat you. I know you're Lord. I understand you're amazing. And one day you're going to judge me and chain me in fire and for hell and brimstone for the rest of ever and ever and ever. Oh my God, I'm so defeated. I messed up. That's what he's saying. And he's saying, don't cast me in the abyss. Just send us into them hogs as if he's prolonging time. And he says, well, they're already cursed and under the law and they're already, they're already unclean. Just go. What happened to the hogs? They all run down the hill and they all drowned in the water and died. So now where'd the spirits go? I don't know. Jesus sent them into the hogs though, but he sure got them out of the man. We make doctrine out of all that stuff. It just means that they go where they belong, to where it's unclean, to where it's not, but we're created for the image of God. So that's get them out of the man. That's the key to the story. That's get them out of the man. He's made in the image of God. You follow me? But we, I've read a lot of books on those stories and people hand me a lot of books. Brother, you need to understand deliverance. You need to understand demon possession. You need to understand, I'm, I read these books and I'm thinking, God help us. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm on a little bit of a tangent right now. I just get really bothered how we think. We think with our mind and speak with our mouth instead of really, really listen by the Spirit and in our heart. Go ahead. Okay, I'm trying to get this together here. Um, you know, when you're saying our voices that we hear, connecting this to fasting, when Jesus went into the desert, he came out with power. That fasting, did it, it must have helped him put down the voices of his flesh. He was right? tempted at every point. So the devil's right there the power. tempting him. Right. So, Fasting makes you very spirit conscious, spirit minded. Why are you facing? Why does praying so in tongues we, edify you? We could, that, that will empower us also to It'll help us battle Stay on these, the right track. These voices like... Guys, do you realize your whole life you were groomed and trained? Watch this. Your whole life you've been groomed and trained in negativity, unbelief, fear, worry, anxiety, the worst, woe is me, your whole life. True? And now we need to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. So fasting separates that. So you can't imagine how much we integrate the way that seems right to man into the gospel. You can't even imagine. It grieves me how much we integrate the way that seems right to man into the gospel. We are so full of yell buts, if we're not careful. Yeah, but brother, you need to understand, and then we'll share a natural experience. You preach the word, and Christians are sitting, yeah, but that ain't how it went. Well, yeah, but we pray, yeah. And it's constantly contesting truth, and it's a strategy, and it's designed by hell to work in your mind against truth. So that as truth is being heard, you can't hear it because you have so much natural reality contrary to truth. I'm telling you. Fasting will make you so spirit conscious. Fasting will get you out of the mindset of man and the way that seems right to man. If you enter into fasting and just seek little, now it's prayer and fasting, it's not just fasting. It's prayer and fasting because it's a, it's a momentum of the spirit. You're looking to God. You're seeking heaven to get a hold of heaven. We're to preach the kingdom of God's here. And we're still being driven by the flesh. No, the kingdom of God's here. 
So, you know, you look at a story like this, it's not legalism, it's not works. Jesus didn't say, well, I'd like to help your boy, but you're not quite on page. You're not where I need you to be. He honors faith. Many places where people were healed, he said, your faith has made you whole. Actually, out of the 20-some incidences of healing that are recorded, it's about a third of the time he honored somebody's faith and acknowledged their faith. The two times he marveled. It's pretty amazing to get Jesus to marvel. I never really understood that one, but, but there's twice, twice he marveled. Once was when his own people couldn't believe. He marveled because they're created to believe. And the other one was when a centurion man who's outside of the covenant, outside of his church, outside of his people, who was considered a Gentile, had more faith than all of Israel. And he marveled that somebody outside of his church had faith and his own church had none. Yeah, that's a tough one. The guy so simply came, the centurion, and said, listen, you don't need to come under my roof. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. I'm a Gentile. I haven't been privileged the covenants and promise. I, I so don't qualify. But he's acknowledging his love for his son and his value towards his son. He's just honoring something in Jesus that's amazing. He said, I too am a man under authority. He so got it. He said, I have a hundred, I tell them, I have a hundred soldiers under me. I tell them, go here and they go. I say, do this and they do it. If you just speak the word, my son will be well. Jesus went, that's awesome. <laughs> Jesus was like, dude, you understand. There's no fear, there's no worry. He, he's saying, I see who you are. And because I see who you are, wow, I understand. Wow, I see how you operate. You're from the Lord, and you go, oh my goodness. If you just speak the word, bam. Now, as the Father sent him, he sends us the things he do, we shall do if we see why our identity is always being attacked. Because if your identity is not secure, you can't believe because you'll be flesh self-conscious. You'll get into works and try too hard and you'll try to pray the right thing instead of believe the right thing. You'll try to wave the right color flag and blow the right tune on the horn. I'm being real. Yeah. Instead of just believe. I'm serious. Everything we're reading has the word believe in it, doesn't it? And then we're ministering to people's sensuality. And yeah, but I don't feel loved. Well, there has to be a reason you can't feel loved, brother. Let's try to find the reason. And we're just empowering people, telling them it's right to live by their feelings. <sighs> all of life was set against faith, guys. All of life and all of the fall was set against believing the good news. But the good news still came. Your place is believing it first. Believing, walking in your bedroom. Father, I thank you the kingdom is in me. It's absolutely here because you said so. Don't really feel it. Doesn't even seem that real, but it's in me. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, you've come 
These hands are anointed. I have a calling in my life to bless, to give, to serve. When I lay hands on the sick, they recover. God, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me. Thank you, I'm the call of heaven. I'm the choice of God. I'm the roster and team of God. I'm the best you've got, and I'm enough because you love me and you're in me. Christians don't think like that or pray like that. They would think that's heresy. They're still trying to get over themselves and afraid to look in the mirror and catch their eyes. I'm being real. <laughs> the truth is he's in us. Amen. You know how many times I've walked my house looking at my hands, preaching to my hands? <laughs> hands, you're amazing. You've been made in the image of God. When you touch, Jesus touches because you're one with him. There's nothing that can stop you now. Heaven's with you. You have the green light from God. We're in. We're not out. Yay. <laughs> I'm just telling you. It's the stuff that's wrong with me. That's how I talk when you're not around. That's how I think. Because then that thought that's telling you if somebody doesn't agree and is on page, then it's intimidating or you want to be in a place where nothing changes the truth. What's it matter if they don't believe when the promise is to the believer? So we just need a believer in the equation. We're taught if they don't believe, they can't be healed. We take one phrase out of the Bible that says Jesus could do no mighty work in his hometown because of their unbelief and almost think that unbelief then can stop God's power. If you look in the subtitle of that section of scripture, it's the rejection of Jesus in Nazareth. He went to his hometown and they thought he was cuckoo because they watched him grow up and knew he was Mary's boy. And they said, how can this man say he's come from above when we watched him grow up? He is on a spiritual trip. He is just another person that has gone whoop loopy and they all went home. Nobody ran to grab Joe the paralytic and lay him on the street because they thought Jesus was nuts. He couldn't do any mighty work because there was no gathering. There's nobody came to him, but all that came to him were healed. But in Nazareth, nobody came to him. They all went home because Loco's back. We get the idea that he prayed for a paralytic and he stayed paralyzed. Who here can see Jesus praying for a paralytic and him staying paralyzed? Okay, so Jennifer is quadriplegic, right? And you guys all just carry her up to Jesus on a mat, but you're, you have disdain in your heart. She's paralyzed. Jesus is, he's good. He's not a high priest who's unsympathetic. He goes to a man at the pool, and there's five porches of sick, and he goes to a man who has no one to help him. He says, you want to be healed? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a dumb question. Most of us would have got offended. What are you, some kind of jerk? What do you mean do I want to get healed? I've been sick 38 years laying here. What kind of question is that? You think I'd be laying here trying to get in this water? There's nobody to help me. Most of us, that question would have wrecked us. Do you want to be healed? What are you, some kind of wise guy? What he was getting out of the man was, there's no one to help me. Oh, yes, there is. 
Did the man even know who Jesus was? Three scriptures later, you can find the man had no clue. Jesus never introduced himself. Hi, I'm the son of God, the Messiah. (laughs) He just came and said, do you want to be healed? I don't have anyone to help me. In his heart, oh yes you do. Take your bed and walk, friend. Huh? Oh, Gospel of John. Did you ever watch it? Visual Bible, Gospel of John. Oh. He goes up to the guy. He says, God looks at him. Go ahead. Get up. Walk. And the guy goes. He starts getting up and he just gets up. He's like, oh, you just sit there and you cry. You get your little granddaughter and you say, see, that's Jesus. Thought he speak. Get it in a little innocent child. <laughs> to where a little kid just believes if they speak it, it can happen. <laughs> Instead of us intellectual, sophisticated adults. <laughs> Sophistication, I've said this 10 times now in the school, has the root meaning of lack of innocence, by the way. We're so busy being sophisticated. <laughs> Don't bother with me. I don't need your sophistication. (laughs) I need the innocence of the gospel. (laughs) Who grew up here and you need to get sophisticated. Right? What it means is you need to be void of innocence. Yeah, grow up, but meaning grow out of him. Grow up in yourself. Think about it. Pool, 38 years sick. Sounds like a big deal to us. 38 years, whoa, this is a big one. Jesus says, get up. The guy doesn't even know who Jesus is. Could he possibly have faith if he didn't know who Jesus was? He didn't even know what was coming. So what healed the guy? The love and compassion, the revelation of who Christ is, the will of God for the man. Who was the believer in this situation? Jesus was in his hometown. He could do no mighty work except that a few sick folk gets healed. So he must have walked by a few people that had some stuff and he must have touched them. But the gospel still flowed. Okay, so they bring Jennifer on a mat. Can you be quadriplegic just for a moment for an illustration? So we lay Jennifer down and, 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 it's, and I'll just make you guys for now the unbelievers since you're not. What? Yeah, since you're not. <laughs> and, and they're just standing around. Yeah, yeah. Mary's boy. Could you picture Jesus looking at Jennifer and going, having a heart for her, having compassion, and then looking at these guys and saying, you know, I'd love to heal her if you guys could just believe. Why would he put her restoration on their shoulders and put her well-being on their faith? When he's standing there with the revelation. Isn't that what we do in the church? Put it on everybody else and each other, don't we? You show me one place Jesus put it on people. Can you picture Jesus saying, rise, Jennifer, and walk? And Jennifer just lays her, I'd like to, but I can't move a muscle, sir. Jennifer, I said, get up and walk. Ah, uh, I'm trying, I just can't. Jennifer, Get up. And then him look at the people. You know, it would be wonderful if you guys wouldn't be so cynical and you could believe. 
Because I could heal this woman if you could just believe. But because of your unbelief, she's going to stay this way. Wouldn't that be ridiculous? Every time in the Bible, Jesus just said, get up. And what did they do? (gasps) Why? Because they're not on page. (gasps) Right? So, Jesus... Nazareth, hometown, no mighty work has been taught as if unbelief can stop God's power. Nothing can stop God's power. He's the Lord. It's actually taught in churches that unbelief is stronger than the power of God. Unbelief in the Christian is stronger than the power of God. (laughs) Was there any unbelief in Jesus? Did he let what people didn't see determine what he did see? So no matter what people saw or didn't see, he was the revelation, so he ministered effectively and had no identity crisis. We're to follow him. Do we still have areas of identity crisis? Do we still think contrary thoughts and tend to believe them? Are we still building in certainty and surety? So we ought to enjoy the ride and keep on pressing on. True? Because he's forming us in him. Did he say all things are possible to them that believe? Do you think he's lying? Did he say the things I do you can do if you believe? He didn't say if you try or if you pray. He said if you believe. He said if you have faith you'll say to the mountain move and it'll move and nothing shall be what? Do you think he meant all that? Here's an illustration. A man comes and says please come my daughter's ready to die. Would you come? He goes to the house the one, one illustration in the gospel, she's already dead. And he says, let's go. And they go to the house. When they get there, what's happening at the house? A whole bunch of mourning and wailing. Guess who they are? They're fruit payers. In their culture and society, you need to understand this, that they would hire in people to play a dirge, a certain song. It would let, when they heard that, they knew someone died. And that there was going to be a funeral and they'd all come to pay their respects and honor the family. Jesus goes and there's a commotion. They're weeping and wailing. They're actually hired mourners. Hired wailers and mourners. So they're flute players. It's in your Bible. They're flute players. They're mourning. They're playing a funeral song. They're playing a death song. And everybody's like shopping going, oh my God, somebody died. And they follow the music and find out, oh my God, it's Joe and Sally's house. Their daughter. That's how they let everybody know what was going on. Jesus goes there and says, hey guys, why are you piping on the pipes and crying? Because uh, she died? She's not dead, she's only sleeping. Oh, yeah, right, wacko. It says he got them all out of there. He moved them. Now here's what we teach, that Jesus had to get the unbelief out of the room so he could heal the girl. Do you know why that's such a dangerous teaching? Because when you walk into a hospital room carrying the kingdom, you'll let the kingdom be determined by the atmosphere instead of the kingdom. And you'll see the whole family crying and you'll say, well, I'd like to pray, but the the whole room's full of unbelief and God wouldn't move in here if he could. Well, I'd like to pray, but they're talking so negative, God will never get through that wall. Why don't you be Joshua and why don't you let them be Jericho? 
Why don't you let one in Christ be a majority? Because a believer can say to the mountain, it doesn't say unless, of course, the whole family's not on page. Lay your hands on the sick and they'll recover unless, of course, they don't agree. Our minds add that. It doesn't say that. So he removes them. Why does he remove them? Why does he remove them? Because he's ready to get the girl up and there's no need to sing a funeral song. There's going to be no funeral. We don't need your services. Go home. Stop crying. We've turned it into get the unbelief out so he could raise her from the dead. And then we let people's unbelief create unbelief in us when Jesus is Lord the whole time. You show me one place where the people's unbelief created unbelief in Jesus. We have so butchered this thing up. You have something, Linda? You've been holding the mic. Okay. Let's read something here real quick. Are you guys okay? Let's just, let's just burn through and read something here real quick because we don't have much time. You guys all right? We're just going to keep growing. Is this okay we're on this topic? Okay. Verse 20, Matthew 21, verse 21. Matthew 21, this is where we tried to start and never read it. And it's the end of the class, so. It's a typical school day. It's normal. We're right on, see, we're right on pace with the grace that's here. Truly or assuredly, I say to you. Come on, this is Jesus. Okay, I'm going going to challenge you and test you in this a little bit. When I read this, you try to find limitation for me. How's that? Come on, pay attention. And when I read this, you try to find limitation for me. How's that? You follow me? You find limitation in this. I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to this fig tree, but also you will say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and it will be done. For whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive them. Now you find me limitation for that. It's all inclusive. There is none except that we don't believe. But from God's end, it's an unhinged promise. Is there limitation in the promise? Are all things possible according to Jesus? If I can just what? Cultivate a heart and life of belief. And get myself free from the way that seems right to a man. And all the limited teaching I've heard through my life that has come from experience or lack thereof. We've taught a lot of the word out of the way life's been. I know a pastor who preached passionate like I do on healing until he was on the hospital table getting an open heart surgery. And his very first message back in the pulpit was how to handle your life when God says no. That's his very first message back in the pulpit after his open heart surgery. Pastor, what was he doing? Defining God's word through his life and experience. Do you know that that's a form of pride? (sighs) To make everything go through the eye of the needle of your life when everything goes through the eye of the needle of his life. It's still all about you and you don't even realize it. When you're defining God through your life. There is no yes, no, or maybe. There's no maybe so, maybe not. It's yes and amen. 
So when does God say no concerning healing? You show me one time he says no concerning healing in the Bible. You say, well, Paul's thorn. No, read the whole chapter before and read that whole chapter and you'll find that Paul's talking about persecution. Did God promise persecution for, 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 for preaching him? Did God promise that all that live godly will suffer persecution? Did he promise healing? So if God promised healing and you're praying for healing, can God sovereignly turn around and go against his word if his words is integrity, he could swear by no greater, so he swore by his name and he's raised his word above his name. So for God to deny the integrity of his word is to deny himself. And if he denies the integrity of his word, we can never again take him at his word and ever believe again, ever. So could Paul have been sick if God said my grace is sufficient for you? If there's promises for healing. See, when we debate over this, it proves we don't understand the infallibility and integrity of God's word. And we're so wishy-washy with it that we'll actually let our experience dictate God's word. God's magnified his own word above his name and we let our circumstances dictate God's word. Our feelings. Paul was asking God to move something that God promised he would encounter. He told him, I will show you the things you must suffer for my namesake. And Paul is in the middle of all that, buffeted every time he opens his mouth, beat, whipped, or stoned. Least he be exalted, least he be what? You say, well, that's just God then. God's doing that. No, it's Satan trying to break him, trying to get him to love his own life and hush up and shut up. That's why Paul said, man, don't you feel sorry for me and my chains. It's for your glory. Because I'm living this thing I'm preaching and I don't love my own life. And in Acts 20 or 21, you hear him saying, hi, every city I'm going to, I hear Holy Spirit say, you know, there's chains waiting you and prisons waiting in that city. He said, none of it moves me. I go right into the city because I don't count my own life dear so that I might fulfill the will of him who enlisted me. Sounds like he got the message in 2 Corinthians. <laughs> and now he's triumphantly saying, I'm in. Let's go preach Jesus you realize there's chains and prisons waiting you. Absolutely, let's go. <laughs> Why? Because his grace was sufficient for Paul. And in your weakness, I will make you strong. When he uses the word infirmity in that chapter in 2 Corinthians 12, he, he interchanges infirmity and weakness in the same sentence. Because he wants you to see infirmity is not sickness. If you study it out, you could find sickness in the word infirmity. But the use of it, it's a bigger definition. It's like a Webster's Dictionary. The, the, the definition he's grabbing is human weakness, human inability, human inadequacy. So he says about my infirmity, because in my weakness, he makes me strong. He interchanges, he takes the word infirmity, and God has it interpreted as weakness in the same sentence. So that you see he's not talking about sickness. He's talking about human weakness. God is amazing. We tend to be presumptuous and heady. And we're quick to share our opinions. But if your interpretation of a scripture is at the cost of many scriptures, you're probably misinterpreting. But if you look at a precarious scripture through the whole picture of what's already revealed, it's easier to define. You see what I mean? We take this one little section of scripture and make a big doctrine out of it when it's in the face of a whole lot of other things that are already for sure. That's a sure sign that you're being presumptuous and hasty. Amen? Amen. Okay, did you see that God said whatever things you ask, what things? Whatever. 
You ask, what's, what are we going to do? <laughs> Believe. What's going to happen? You're going to receive. Isn't that amazing? Scan through your Bible real quick. Go to Mark 11 real quick. We can squeeze this in. I got two minutes. Hurry. Let's go. Fast, fast. Mark 11. Quick, 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 quick. And whenever you stand praying, verse 25. No, verse 22. Have faith in God, not your prayers. Not what you say and not what you do. Have faith in God. That means who he is. Hello? So where's faith coming from? It works through love. Have faith in God. I see God in this situation. His nature, his heart, his character has been clearly conveyed through Christ Jesus. Man, my heart is burning alive in this. I know the will of God and faith is alive. I have faith in God. For assuredly, truly, I say to you, who? Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things he says will be done, he will have whatever, whoever, whatever. Do you hear how inclusive that is? Whoever, whatever. Even in the pool of Bethesda, even where they were at the pool and the porches and the water would stir, Jehovah Rapha still in place. They're under the law of sin and death. They're reaping what they've sown, and yet God is still Jehovah Rapha. So he still keeps the healing covenant alive and every once in a while this angel comes down and stirs the water. Well, Jesus is the stirred water now. We're in a new covenant. The water's stirred, right? But even then the water would stir and it says in John 5, whoever stepped in first was healed of whatever. Why? Because God's showing you that everybody's in and it doesn't matter what the problem is. Hello? Who? Whoever. What? Whatever. Yeah, but brother, you don't understand. I've been going through this. I went into a Methodist church and, and it was at the end of the service. I didn't preach on healing even. I didn't preach on healing even for 20 seconds in this Methodist church. Not even 20 seconds. And right at the end, the Lord said, Dan, I want to do a visual miracle. It was a gift. It was, it was an unction from the Lord. It was, it was more operating in the gift of healing and the working of miracles, this whole experience. And there's a place for that. The Lord just said to me, Dan, and that's seeing what God's saying, doing what God's doing. I want to work a miracle, a visual miracle in front of the people. I want to show them that I'm a God of the miraculous. I'm a healer. And I went, oh, okay. I'm like, okay. He said, call somebody up that has visual impairment, physical impairment. Something that's obvious and physical. So I said that. God's going to heal right now and he wants to do a visual miracle. I don't usually hear this stuff, but I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what's wrong. If you have visual, physical impairment, come to the front. Jesus is going to heal you in front of everybody. As I'm talking, I said, I need you to be bold. Come on, because this church isn't used to altar calls. They're not, they're, they're, they're just. But bless her heart, Shirley gets up out of her chair. That was Shirley right there. And she's coming, boy. She is. She's coming. And I said, obviously, dear, you're responding to the call that I just made. And she went like that. I said, that is wonderful. Thank you. She gets up to the corner of the pew, and she's just standing there. And I'm sharing. And I come over. I said, what's going on? Everybody, wouldn't you know, everybody in the church knows her. She's Shirley with frozen knees. For 25 years, she's been walking like that. I walked over to her and I said, hey, honey, 
I said, I'm so glad you came up. God spoke to me and said he wanted to do a miracle and he heals whoever of whatever. So I wanna pray for you right now. I'm gonna take your hands, okay? Spirit of God's gonna come through you and you're gonna march around this church. And Jesus is gonna be glorified. She said, son, I've been like this for 25 years. Now who knows that's her natural reality? Who knows that you're not being insensitive to that? Who knows that's happened? And I looked at her with a big smile and I said, 25 years, 25 months, 25 weeks, 25 days. Jesus is Lord. Be healed. She went, oh. I said, March, honey. Oh, oh. And I watched her just as I spoke. She went the whole way around the church like she's leading a band. And everybody's going. And then pandemonium broke out. God just, there was this Irish man. He had a hernia as big as an orange. It just went closed. And he's bawling in his chair. He says, he says I can't talk Irish as anybody can. He, you can just imagine. I can't do all those accents. But he's yelling. I didn't even know what was going on. He's yelling, bless you, sir. You're a conduit of God. You're a conduit of God. You're a conduit for the Lord. And I'm like, what? And I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that works. Okay, that works. And uh, his wife got a little mad at me. I said, not mad. She was just so emotional. I said, are you sure it's closed? Because I had a man one time. It was under his bed. And then when he got home, he realized it wasn't. And, and, uh, I said, why don't you go behind that curtain up there and just really check? And his wife said, sir, it was this big. <laughs> if it's healed, he would know it. If it wasn't, he would know it. And I'm like, yeah, praise God. If the woman of God says he's healed, he's healed. And, and a man was there who couldn't drive in the dark and barely could drive in the day, but couldn't drive in the dark at all because of his eyes and a night vision thing. And he was not allowed to, drove his whole family home that night. Could see totally clear. It's beautiful. Where's Ron? Get up here. Hernia testimony. <sighs> Isn't that good? I just heard your name. Isn't that awesome? Every trace of hernia leave the body now. That's right, leave. Be completely made whole. Yeah, muscle wall be mended. Thank you, Father. He loves that this guy's amazing. He'll never make a monkey out of him. <laughs> God, thank you for your love for Ron. You be strong. You never have another breakout. Be healed in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Are you kidding? That's awesome. So, so here's the mentality. The reason I told you that little testimony. What was her mind? The fact that it was 25 years became what? Very real and very important. But the truth is that whole 25, remember the man at the pool, 30? Remember the woman bowed over, 18? Do you know there's no evidence, Kimberly, this will help too with what you questioned earlier. When Jesus walked in, watch this, he goes to the temple, right? So he's in the meeting place of the so-called church. And there's a lady at the service bent over. All in all, what Jesus is saying is, hey, what's up with this? Shouldn't she be healed? She's a daughter through the covenant God made with Abraham. She's a daughter of Abraham. Ought she not be loosed from this infirmity? That was what Jesus said. And all the scribes and Pharisees and people were like, 
uh, well, it is the Sabbath, you know. We don't heal on the Sabbath. Well, she was like that for 18 years. It wasn't the Sabbath every day. Ought she not, isn't that what Jesus said? Woman bowed over. Ought she not be loosed from the spirit of infirmity, seeing that she has covenant roots through God and Abraham? And nobody could say a word. They're just like, but see, they were gathering every week and doing church, but now Jesus is there. (laughs) Yeah, he came to their service. And he, and he can't show up without somebody getting fixed. The first thing out of his mouth, he zeroed in on her. He says, whoa, man, she ought to be straightened up. We got to fix this. Why? Because he's a good teacher. And everybody's going, whatever, dude, really didn't think about it. Can we sing now? <laughs> Woman be loosed, and immediately, what's it say? Was there faith in the woman? Was there any evidence of faith in the woman? He picked her out. Was there any faith in the people? Was she made straight? I wonder why. Because he knew who he was, and he knew the will of God. And he wants us to know who we are and know the will of God. Amen. Luke 13. Yeah, you can check it out. Luke 13. I got to close. I'm late. Oh my gosh, I'm late. I'm eight, nine minutes late. Wow. Yeah. It's because you guys took a long break. Making up for the minutes. Said if the food's better than my preaching after they're done eating, I'll get my preaching in one way or the other. (laughs) I'll get you back. I'll pay you back. I'll make you sit here. No. (laughs) Isn't that ridiculous? What do you say we pray and ask God to really burn this stuff in our hearts? And, and I'm going to ask him not to let our minds work in a negative way, a presumptuous way, but work in accordance to truth. Wouldn't that be good? You want to believe that? Come on. We don't need to find a way out. We got a way in. And I want my mind to work contrary to edification. Amen? It's not wrong to ask questions. I would never take the power to ask questions out of your life, but be careful why and how you ask questions. You can ask questions in frustration, contention, cynicism, and just believing you already have the answer and ask a question in a challenge even when you're praying or talking to God. Be very careful the condition and position of your heart, okay? God gives grace to the... So, Father, thank you. Can we stand to our feet? Let's just honor him because now I'm 10 minutes late. Time just doesn't stop. Did you ever notice that I don't have the favor Joshua had and that he just never stops the sun for me? Father, we just thank you. We've been so conditioned contrary to many of these things, Lord, and we just submit to your mercy. We ask you to fashion us, to mold us, to realign us, to restore us in every good way. And Father, we just thank you that truth speaks loud and makes us free. And we just thank you that we can all carry the privilege. It's in our birthright and inheritance, the privilege of faith, for the just shall live by faith. Even in the old covenant in Hosea, you say the just shall live by faith. Even Abraham was accounted righteousness because he believed. It's been that way from the beginning. You've left that open the whole way through. And now we're in this new covenant, New Testament, new and living way. It's faith through Christ Jesus. So Father, you made yourself very clear and plain through the life of your son. All you did was ask us to take heart and courage and follow him.
Thank you, Holy Spirit, for taking us there. In the name of Jesus, we yield and submit. Thank you for empowering us to manifest your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. I have to kind of bolt out of here a little bit. I apologize. It's just the way my schedule is sometimes. So uh, tomorrow I'll probably be hanging out as long as anybody needs me to, but I'm thinking I have to run right now. So.